Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. This is David praying to the Lord. This is before Jesus was even conceived. So how could the prayer be directed at Jesus if this was taking place before he was even born? What was all the prophets praying to before Jesus? Jesus was stated that we were not um, perfected enough as of now to pray directly to God, that it wasn't until after the great destruction that um, we would not have to use Jesus Christ's name anymore in our prayers. You have to talk to the mic. Could you please talk to the mic? I said that Jesus was stated that we were not perfected enough as of now to use, you know, to pray directly to where's, God. Where's that in the Bible? In, even in the Jehovah's Witness Bible? Where's that at? He shows it to me, and I, I think it was in John. I'm not sure if it's a direct scripture. I think she made that up because <laughs> Jesus said, pray ye after this manner, right? What did he say then? Our Father who art in heaven, correct? Right. And this is supposed to be out the mouth of Jesus himself. Now, Jesus told his disciples to pray to the Father who art in heaven. How could he be telling people to pray to him? Our Father who art in heaven. He said, pray ye after this manner. Our Father who art in heaven. Right. So if Jesus made that statement himself in the Lord's Prayer, how could he be telling people to pray to him? Or in his name? Because he said... Our Father who art in heaven, what? Holy is thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Those witnesses fabricated their own kingdom. It's not going to come. And he told him that the name of the Father is holy. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is thy name. So if you pray in Jesus' name, you're just praying in vain. Because Jesus himself didn't say that. See, you can't take books of people who wrote books after Jesus to put their opinion in, because Paul is one of the most contradictory people that you can read about, because he's the one who wrote the book of Matthew that tells them to pray to the Father who art in heaven. But what he calls red print, Jesus is writing. But then when you get to the books of Hebrews and Corinthians and all that, those are no longer dotted with Jesus' sayings. They're predominantly his own sayings. And those doctrines are totally different than what you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The books of Hebrews and Corinthians and those books of a total different change in doctrine. And what the Christian ministers do, especially the Jehovah's Witness in the Pentecostal church, is they spend most of their time talking about what Paul said. They don't ever address what Jesus said. And whenever we, as Muslims, ask them, tell us something Jesus said, they say, Corinthians, we say, that's Paul. Tell us something Jesus said, they say, Hebrews, we say, that's Paul. Instead of the gospel according to Paul, what did Jesus teach? Well, the book of Revelation, and in their Bible, they also have it written the same way, that the book of Revelation, you have a Bible there? Do you? Yes. Go to chapter 1 of the book of Revelation so we can find out what Jesus was supposed to be teaching. Book of Revelation, chapter 1, reads what? The revelations of whom? Jesus Christ. Whose revelation is this? Then, according to this verse, whose revelation is this? Jesus Christ. Nobody else's, right? Right. Go ahead. Which? Which God gave unto him. Who gave it to him? God. So is he God? 
No. No, he can't be if he gave him something. You can't give yourself something. He said, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So if God gave it to him, he cannot be God in any kind of way, because you can't give yourself the book, the revelation. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Which God gave unto him to do what? To show unto his servant things that would be slightly. To show unto yes. his servant. Whose servant is this? Jesus' servant or is this God's servant? God's servant. That's right. But this ain't Christian. Because at this time, there was no church of Christianity. You see, all of these people were Jews, like we just read in the book of John 4, 1, where Jesus said salvation is for the Jews. He says it. The word there would be Judah, not Jew. Jesus said salvation is to the tribe of Judah himself, like the Bible. So now here he's speaking about the tribe of Judah as though many of them have deceived him. Because some of the disciples, remember, were of the houses of Israel of the different tribes, and they had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, not as anything other than that, as the Messiah. And if you open your Bible, keep the spot of Revelation, and go to the same man, John, again, and read the first book of John, chapter 1, verse 41, they're going to tell you what the disciples thought Jesus as, not what the new modern-day disciples like Paul, who made his doctrine up. What did the rest, what did Simon and them see him as? It says in St. John chapter 1, verse 41, what? He first finds his own brother Simon and says unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. We have found the Messiah, but they are interpreting him to Christ. You know why they interpreted him to Christ away from Messiah? Because in order for them to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they would have had to recognize the books of old that Jesus kept telling them to go to. You'll find me mentioned in the book of Daniel. You'll find me mentioned in the book of Isaiah. You'll find me mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, Jesus kept saying. Which meant they would have had to live by the law of the scriptures of old. They would have became nothing but Jews. There would have been no new denomination of Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah Witness, Protestants, Episcopalians, or Catholics. They would have been strictly Jews. Was Jesus circumcised? Yes, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day of his life, they say in the Bible. God was circumcised? <sighs> Do you understand? Jesus was living by the law of the Torah. He lived by the same laws of Moses. He says in St. John, I did not come to change but to fulfill. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace means forgiveness for the children of Israel because they had turned away from worshiping Elohim, as he referred to, because he didn't call him Jehovah. Jesus didn't call him Jehovah. You know how I know? Because the so-called Jehovah Witness say Jesus was nailed to a stake, but they don't say cross. And on that stake, in that same book of Matthew, what does Jesus say? When he says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? How come they don't have written there, Jehovah, Jehovah? How come they have Eli, Eli, Lama Sebastiani? Now, if Jesus Christ was on the cross and getting ready to die, that's the ultimate of life, death. Correct? He would call on the Father by his rightful name at that time, if not at any other time in his whole life. And he didn't. He referred to him as the name in Genesis, Eli. He didn't refer to him as Elohim, because that would be the plural. And he couldn't get the help from the angels. He had already had all the help of the Holy Spirit. He turned right to the Heavenly Father and said, Eli. Eli, the same thing Muslims say, Eli, Eli, which is Allah, the same name. He didn't say Jehovah. Ask the Jehovah Witnesses, why 
what Jehovah said when on the stake. He should have said, Jehovah, Jehovah, why have thou forsaken me? And it doesn't mean father, because the word in many Bible dictionaries, including the Jehovah Witnesses dictionary, Abba is Hebrew for father. Okay, so why is it that the Jehovah Witnesses give you the scripture, um, Psalms 83:18, which says that God's name is Jehovah? It's very good for them to do that because, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Jehovah's Witness ain't got nothing to do with that because Psalms was revealed to David and he was an Israelite. And the language that he was speaking was Aramaic, Theretic, and Hebrew, not Greek, which they used their Bible in. They put it in Greek. All right, first of all, and when he did that, it's because the children of Israel had blasphemed the name of the Most High, which you find in the book of Genesis and in the Jehovah's Witnesses book. They admit that the name in the beginning of the Bible was Elohim. They say the original name in the Bible was Elohim. That's the Hebrew. So Allah, Him. Allah and Paul, all of his heavenly hope is Allahumma. They admit that right in their own dictionary. Now look it up and you'll see it in their book. All right? But now what happens when they lost the right to call the Almighty by his name, Elohim, they started using another Hebrew word, Adonai. Adonai means to adorn. It symbolizes the word Lord when mistranslated. Adonai. You understand that? But when the prophet Moshe in Hebrew or Musa in Arabic, which y'all call Moses from the Greek Mo to be drawn out, they're not even using a Hebrew translation, they use an Egyptian name for Moses, Moses. But the original name Musa, when he had to go back to a man named Jethro, remember this, he had to go back to a man named Jethro who was a Midianite. And that man was living in the land of Midian. And the Midian were of the tribe of Ishmael, because the Midianites in the books of Judges 33 were classified along with the Ishmaelites when they were taking their jewelry and they got conquered by a man named Gideon. Now the Midianites came from Abraham's third wife, Keturah, the daughter of Nimrod. Her fourth son's name was Midian. Understand? In the Bible. And out of Midian came a prophet called Jethro. We call him Shu'ab in Arabic. He was the son of Luchman. You all call Isaac in English. You're okay? Now, out of that seed, Moses got taught. Those people were speaking the Arabic language. He lived in Midian. Midian was in Arabia. In fact, his family got mad because they said Moses went and married a Cushite. And this woman was a Cushite, but living in Arabia, meaning the original Cushite lived in Arabia, and looking at Jehovah's Witness Bible Dictionary and the Cushion, you see black. Uh-huh, you see what I'm saying? So that means Abraham, Moses' wife was black, and therefore the Arabians at that time were black. Moses got taught by an Arabian, named Jethro, I repeat, then he was sent to go back to get the children of Israel. But before he left, he said, who should I say sent me? Because he had learned another name while he was there. He was a bundle of someone speaking Arabic, and he learned the name Allahumma and Allah. He said, who should I say is sending me? And he said, I am who I am. <laughs> Only difference is they left that in English. They didn't leave in there. Anna Aladihu, I am who I am who I am. And the word who in the middle of it. Who is he in Hebrew and Arabic? You see? But in the, in the Semitic languages, whenever we address somebody, 
We add Yah on the front of it. We don't just call a person Gladys. We say Yah Gladys, Yah David. That's respect in the Semitic languages, okay? So the Almighty was called He who is, who am? You see that? And when they called him out, they said, Yah who am? Oh, he who is. These people turned that into a name and said, Yahoo. When the Latin language got into it, they changed the Yah into a J, and it became known as Yahoo. And then when the Germans got it, they changed the, the Wow in it, Yahoah, to a B. And then they got Jehovah, a whole new name. And then said it was the name of God. Yes, it became a name when they added Yah on it. But the name in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, was Elohim. And any Jehovah Witness who study their scriptures will confirm that, because they have it right in their dictionary. And then if that was his name, then which one of these names was Jesus talking about when he said, holy is thy name? Was he talking about the demonstrative pronoun describing him, who, or was he talking about his name, who was the one in the beginning who created, Elohim? Very simple. When he was on the stake, according to them, he said, Eli, Eli. He didn't say Jehovah, Jehovah. So what name did Jesus identify with? What name did the angels identify with? His name is Jibrael, Michael, Raphael, Uriel. All of them have the L on there. Elohim. L is short for Elohim. How come they're not called Jibrajah or Raphajah? You know what I'm saying? So the angels identify the heavenly father with the Ilah, which we Muslims say is Allah, the same thing. Ilah and Allah is just Hebrew to Arabic pronunciation of the same name, the same way they say Javad, we say Jaud. They say Shalom, we say Salam. Just a matter of a, a twisted tongue of information like a dialect. You understand? So the name in the scriptures that Abraham and them knew him as is Elohim. By the time they went into the bondage of the Egyptians, they started calling Adonai, and Yahoah, which is just four letters in Hebrew. Yad, He, Wav, He in Hebrew. Yad, Yah, Wah, Yaha, Wah, Ha. Yahoah. Oh, he who is who he is. That's all that meant. Now, these people have made a whole religion around something that was just me describing. I was talking about you, and I said, well, she will be in the office tomorrow. <laughs> And in the Semitic language, I say, I say, uh, excuse me, Yah, Yah, and I call you like that. Combine those two, and you get Yahuwah, of which they grafted the word Jehovah, which is not his name. It is, becomes a name because it identifies a person or a place or a thing. And that makes it a noun. But in the Bible, in Genesis, and any Bible, you see it was Elohim in the beginning, which is the same as Allah or Allahumma, Allah in all of his Heavenly host, and it's a plural, which is very good because everybody in this whole Christian world keeps getting confused about the we in the Bible, who is the we and the us. If they understood the name Elohim, which is Elohim and him, all of his angels, they understand who the we and the us is. But the Bible says the angels were created before man. They battled in heaven before man. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says, you see, it's very simple. The witness is just another one of those splinter groups that Jesus said to watch out for in Matthew 24, when he said, many is going to come in my name and deceive many. They are of Christ and are not. 
Many of them come in his name and say they're of him and they're not. You know how do you know they're not of him? How did Jesus pray when he went into the garden? What did he do? It says he went into the garden a little way from his disciples, and what did he do? Anybody here know? I didn't hear you. He fell on his face and he prayed. The same way Daniel prayed, the same way Abraham prayed, and the same way Moses prayed. Do the Jehovah Witness go into the temple and fall on their face and pray? No. In Daniel's tent, they described Jesus according to their prophecy. They had a white robe down to his ankles. Daniel 9 backs it up. Revelation 4.4 backs it up. They call the angel of days, and they say this is Jesus. We beg the difference. And they describe him as having a long white robe on. Do Jehovah's Witnesses wear long white robes? When they describe Jesus as following the house of Israel, did Moses wear a beard? Yes. Did all the prophets before him wear beards because they were of the law of Israel? Yes. Did the founding father of the Jehovah's Witnesses wear a beard? Yes, he did, because I have a picture of him. So how come the Jehovah's Witnesses don't wear beards today? And the, the founding father of the what they call the, the Bible Tract Society at the time, if he knew enough to wear the beard, what was their problem? They have deviated from the teachings of the, even the original teachings of Jehovah's Witness. They now became a business. They're in the business of selling books, even if it don't make no sense. Because I can, I'm gonna show you an open contradiction of Jehovah's Witness right, right now. On one of their books, there it's called "Make Sure of All Things." Hold fast to what is fine. All right? Remember that book? Yeah. In that book, one of the pages, they describe who the white race is. They say under the title, Race of Mankind, on page 407, right? To the left, to the extreme right, it says, Black race from Cush. Now listen close. Black race from Cush, not due to curse on canon whose descendants were white, all right? So here they're saying that the curse on Canaan, descendants were white, correct? So therefore, according to them, white people have a curse, according to this book, right? right. Then in their book, Enjoy Life on Earth Forever, is a comic book, they show pictures of Jesus as a white man. Now, if you said that white people are the curse of Canaan, then you're also admitting that Jesus had a curse on him, correct? Right. However, the Bible, in the books of Galatians by Paul again, he declares in 3.10 of, of Galatians, turn to it. Paul is going to say that Jesus has a curse on him. And he's going to be talking about what appears in the book of Deuteronomy 21-23 about anyone who's hung on a cross and cursed or a stake, whatever way they want to take it nowadays. Galatians 3-10. And it'll be 10-13. For as many as are of the word of the law, right, are under what? The curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things which are written in the book of the law. Now, do the Christians live by all the books of Leviticus? 
where they don't eat pork and they don't curse the corners of their beard and men don't stay with their wives when they're unclean. And then they, they, they mention it. Men who have more than one wife is violating the law. When Abraham had more than one wife, Moses had more than one wife, Jacob had more than one wife, everybody down through the Bible had more than one wife. That's the law. They're violating the law because of new laws made by a Roman-influenced Jew called Saul and converted to the Roman doctrine and changed his name to Paul. Now, what do we read on about that? Go ahead and continue it. And cursed is everyone that continueth not all things which are written in the book of the Lord to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for, for the just shall live by faith. Good. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Go ahead. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, being made a curse for us. He just said there that Christ had redeemed you all from the curse of the law because he was what? Being made a curse for us. He said Christ was cursed. Y'all follow a man who says God in the flesh has a curse on him. Here's Paul. He's a big devil. I'm trying to tell y'all, Paul is the devil. He is a big devil. Here Paul says Jesus has a curse on him. How can Jesus be pure, unadulterated, holy, uncut, and in the same verse, Paul claims he has a curse. Y'all see it there? For those who read it, can you see it? That Paul was a demon. He said he was a demon. He said he was the worst persecutor of all the church. And the Jehovah's Witnesses and all the Christian churches base all their doctrine on Paul. They don't base it on Jesus. Now, he called Jesus cursed. That's the Jehovah's Witnesses' teaching. Now, let's go back to Revelation, which is the answer to our teaching of Jesus. Until we get, we read in Jesus' book, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, which separates him from God right there, to show unto his servants, God's servants, things which must shortly come to pass. But it was not going to come to pass in the times of his disciples. And certain other Christians said this happened within a couple of weeks. The Holy Ghost came to them within a couple of weeks. Others said in a certain amount of days to produce the day of Pentecost, right? But the book of Revelation was not revealed to John until he was incarcerated in prison in the Isle of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea in the year 96. That was 96 years after Jesus that this book was revealed, that this revelation came. So the Holy Ghost hadn't come for 96 years. So when the Christians say that's because the Holy Ghost had already come and the day of Pentecost had come five days after the 80-day season, the day of Pentecost means Pentecost means five because it represents the Pentagon, which represents the pentagram, which is a symbol of Satan, the Pentecostal church. And that's why they're more into witchcraft than they are into religion, and they call it the Holy Ghost. Like I said earlier, the Holy Ghost don't pick up no 50 and 60-year-old mother and throw her on the floor and have her foaming out the mouth. You show me that anywhere in the Bible, but one of Jesus' disciples did that. I'll show you in the Bible where people possessed the demons did it, and Jesus cast the demons out of them, but you won't show me in the Bible anybody who's righteous jumps about the chair, falls on the floor, starts foaming out the mouth and saying they got the Holy Spirit. The Jehovah's Witnesses are smart enough, they evade the Spirit. Because the founder of the Holy Spirit, the Jehovah's Witnesses had no spirit. He had no soul. Well, you'll need people to say there is no such thing as spirit. So that means that the doctrine of the Trinity is, is incorrect, right? The doctrine of the Trinity is correct if you understand it. Want me to tell you what the doctrine of the Trinity is? Yes. <laughs> Simple. Who is the Father according to Jesus? God. Right. 
And who is the son? And who else? As many as believe on me, to them I give the power to become the So is it all human beings the sons of God? Then he said, he will send unto you all the Holy Spirit. So doesn't every man have the Holy Spirit? So therefore, everybody, every the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the Father is in heaven. <laughs> right? right? The Son is all his children. And the Holy Spirit are his angels. And if we let them in, we'll make our life new. So they just put emphasis on Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Because, because, because they, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You probably yeah, want to say it. Huh? Because they're doing the work of the devil. They're trying to blaspheme the name of the Heavenly Father. They're trying to make us like Romans, trying to make us worship the Caesars. You see, they took the God, they took the God of the Romans. His name was Zeus. You heard that God before? Put John on the front of it and say it fast. So what you come up with? That's what they did. When Constantine and Paul and them got together in the Nicene Council, they had to make a pact to form a new church. That new church was called the Roman Catholic Church. So what they had to do is institute Roman gods and the Jewish gods in order to have peace in that city. So they took Yah from Yahoah from the Jews, and they took Zeus from the Greeks and made it the name of a god. Jesus' name was not Jesus. His name was Yeshua, which is the same as Joshua. And his name was or Esau, which is the same as Savior. But his name was not Jesus, which they made up so that they can worship the idols of the Romans. And the Roman God died, so they said, your God died on the cross for your sins, the same way our God died. All the Romans come to power, the Caesars, and then they die. But the Jews that up on them, they say, our God gave us everlasting life. They said, watch, we're going to put him to death. But he, he wasn't That's right. They tried to put him to death, and they failed. And through him, man has access, according to the book of Revelation, to the tree of life which was given to him in the garden, that he may live forever. <laughs> he must first be born again. He must put on a new kind of body, a new kind of spirit, a new kind of soul, a new way of life. When they say born again, that means stop. Go all the way back and start gurgling again. But every word that comes out your mouth is wrong. Go back and dress a new way. Walk a new way. Eat a new way. Be born again. You don't just be born again just because I'm born again in the spirit. Right? But that born again in the Spirit is mentioned in the book of Mark, chapter 1, where a person is receiving their baptism. And you know what he says about the baptism? He says that John baptized by water. But Jesus was baptized through what? The Holy Spirit, right? The witnesses don't believe in Spirit because they don't believe in the true baptism. They avoid that. And you cannot dip nobody in the water and make them pure. Not after John the Baptist. If you don't believe me, let's go back to the book of Mark and look at it. Chapter 1. Still respecting the Israelite prophets. You understand me so far? Yes. I'm doing that. It's important that when we walk through the Bible, we don't walk through it so Christian, so Christian point of view. We do it step by step, word for word. So we get the word of the Lord digested properly in us and assimilated to raise the spirit. Not no man's hypothetical junk. I'm trying to walk step by step. As it is written in the prophet, then he said, Behold, I send my what? See what they did, they cheated here. You know why? Because the word messenger in Hebrew and Aramic and Arabic would be prophet again, apostle. I'm sending you an apostle. 
It's John the Baptist was more than just a herald of Jesus to them. You understand that? Uh-huh. He didn't even know he was a prophet, just like Jesus had to tell him he was the return of Elijah. Remember, he didn't know it, so Jesus told him, okay, I send you my message. What for? For thy faith, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's how we knew that was John the Baptist. Because when they asked John the Baptist, who was he? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Correct? Right? Okay. To make his path straight, he's making a way for somebody as a herald. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism. The baptism of what? Repentance and for the? <laughs> Here this man John came to preach the baptism. This is what he preached, the baptism. And he said by being baptized, you'll have your sins removed and that you can repent to the Most High, correct? Right. Now let's go on and see what happened. And there went out unto him how many people? All the land of Judea. And? And they of Jerusalem. And? They were all baptized with him in the river of Jordan. John the Baptist didn't have a little congregation, you know, like the Christians make it seem. John the Baptist converted all of Jerusalem and Judea. The whole congregation, the whole country he converted. They make it look like John the Baptist was a madman living in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey and wearing sheepskin. He had the whole <laughs> Jerusalem converted and baptized before Jesus started teaching. Is that what the Bible says? Yeah. I don't care what those Tazi Russell says. <laughs> or rather for it. I'm coming from the word of God here, they say. Let's see what he says. Or Jehovah, if they want to say that. We know the name of the lost according to what the Okay, go ahead. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his lines, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. He lived the exact same way the prophet Elijah of old did, right? And priests saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, coming after me, the laces of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and undo. John the Baptist told them that somebody's coming after me. Created in me, and I converted all of Judea to Jerusalem. Right? Now, what did he say about this person? I indeed, I have indeed did what? So, what was John the Baptist's form of baptism? Now, then, what did he say about this other being? What? But he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, why do Christians still dip people in water then? If John did the water baptism, why are they still dipping people in water? Because Jesus was not to baptize with water. Jesus was to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit ain't going to make you wet. <laughs> Holy Spirit ain't holding your nose and dipping you under the water and saying, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, are you saved? That's not the Holy Spirit. They say when the Holy Spirit lights upon you, you feel it. He put his words in your mouth and talk through you. Correct? So therefore, Christians got to stop this water dipping because it's not it. It's not a part of the Bible. It's not what it says here. Then it goes on and says what? And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was, now the question is to ask them, why was Jesus baptized if baptism was for the removal of sin? Are you trying to tell me Jesus had sin? 
And don't tell me he had to be an example because John the Baptist already baptized all of Jerusalem as an example. What sin did Jesus have to be removed? And what remission of sin? What redemption did he need? God had to have his sins removed. God had to be baptized by water who created water. What fool they be? No way. It says right here in the book of Mark that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And straightway cometh up out of the water. He saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove, not the dove. So stop using a dove as a Christian symbol. It says a spirit like a dove descended upon him. So the spirit comes down, not out of the water. So Christians better stop dipping people in water and just make them bear witness to Allah in Tahid and the spirit will descend upon them. That's what they asked Jesus when they said to Jesus, what is the highest of all the commandments? What did Jesus say? So Israel, that the Lord thy God is one God, and you should have no other God before him. So Jesus becomes the second God, and the Holy Ghost becomes the third God, and now the Catholics got Mary, she's the fourth, and St. Dismas is the fifth, and St. Jerome is the sixth, and they got all thinking more and more gods every week. They're getting ready to make that little old woman, what's her name? Mother Teresa saying she'll be a think about the 50th God they got. That's polytheism. That's bullshit. That's what they tell us not to do. Don't come to no church and see a statue and say, I'm looking at this statue, I'm worshiping this statue, but I'm not worshiping a statue. Don't tell me that. Walk in the Catholic church and say, no, we have statues, but we don't worship statues. Don't tell me that. You got a statue of Mary up there, you facing it with your hands up in the air, and you pray and you worship in that statue, just like the Babylonians, and your path is hell. Y'all better shake them, because only y'all can do it. Y'all are their saviors. Many have believed on me. To them I give the power to become sons of God, he said. Not me, now don't, get, don't think I'm talking about me. <laughs> I know y'all think he's all, he said, he's, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> not yet. Oh, no. Okay. So do you understand? Yes. I have one last question. Um, what is Shahada? Shahada? Now you touched on the real baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that is, the word shahada means to bear witness. Let me show it to you in the Bible. In the book of who again? John chapter 1, verse 1, which they love to mistranslate. Correct? Now, in John chapter 1, verse 1, what's the first thing they say? In the beginning was the word. That's right. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth, correct? So now, who is this word? They say it's Jesus Christ. It does, that's right. In the beginning was the word, Allah. Allah. In the beginning was the word, Allah. Which we Muslims have put into a word we call kalima which we say is La ilaha illallah. We take the same name Allah and we make it into a sentence. We say Allah, then we say La ilaha illallah. He is the creator of Allah and none could create except by way of him. 
La ilaha illallah. Nothing would exist if he didn't bring it into existence. That's what we're saying. But if you have a Muslim make a declaration, La ilaha illallah, he said nothing would exist if Allah didn't bring it into existence. They all, some people say there's no God but God. That's because they're little, they got something loose up in their head. So in the beginning was Allah. And the word was with Allah. La ilaha illallah, the declaration of his oneness, al-wahidu, was with him. That is his name. You see, this is right out of Christianity. And the word was Allah. What did it say the word was God or did they say the word was Jesus? Okay. The same was where? The same. This is how it was, it really means. This is how it was in the beginning with Allah. He was alone, had no partners. His first creation was the angels. All right? The revelation confirms it. The same was in the beginning with Allah. All things was made by him. La ilaha illallah. And without him, there was not anything made that was made. La ilaha. All things was made by him. Illallah. And nothing would exist if he didn't bring it into existence. That's all it says. You see that? Now what does it say? Number four. In him was what? And the life was the? The light of men. In him was the life. And the life was the light of men. Back in Genesis again, he said, I breathed into man of the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I breathed into man of my spirit. And man became a living soul. Right there, he tells you who that is. In him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, was the life al hayat And the light was the light nor in man. They call Allah in the Quran, nor the light of the heavens and the earth. That's Quran, okay? And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Man's body, before the spirit of the Most High is put into it, once the shell was shaped from the dust of the ground, was void in darkness. And when the spirit of the Most High is put in man, man comes to life, and therewith is light. You see it? So man's body is dark without the spirit. And when a person dies and the spirit leaves them, you see darkness. They call it the state of darkness. Number six. There was a man sent from Allah. It's Mahut Yohanna. His name was John. There was a man sent from Allah whose name was John. Now we're talking about the person. What did John do? That's right. If you saw this word witness, you'd see shahada in Arabic or in Hebrew. This man came to take a shahada. <laughs> he came to bear witness to what? The Who was the light? Jesus or Allah? Allah. That's right. He came to take a shahada to Allah. That's why we say, Ashadu la ilaha illallah. I bear witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it. Ashadu la ilaha illallah. He is alone and he does not have no partners or equals or no gods or semi-gods or statues or idols or anybody else who call themselves gods. They can't even guard themselves against the weather. All right? He came to bear witness. Why? To bear witness of the light that all men through him may believe. Everybody is supposed to believe through who? 
through John, who bore witness to the light, correct? And the book of John is the book of Revelation. The book that they call the book of Jesus Christ that he sent to his servants. So that was the book that man would get their faith from. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, Hebrews, etc., 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 by Paul and them guys. That's not, that's not the way it's written. Now let's get into the incarnation of a prophet. He was not the light. That means John was not the light himself, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. Did Jesus come into the world? Was he born of a virgin? Yeah. So he came into the world also, and he was a man, right? Right. So this light guided him into the world also, right? Right. So that couldn't have been told by Jesus yet. Let's get into it. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. Christians say, see, I tell you, he was in the world. That's Jesus. I say, no, 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 no. He was in the world because where's the Holy Spirit at? Where's the river of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Where's the nuts? Inside us, he said. He blew his spirit into you. So if he's in you and you're in the world, where's he at? That's why Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. Because <laughs> the spirit of the Father was in every man. Stop looking somewhere. When you see me, you see him. That's what he said. I and the Father are one. My spirit is from the Father. He, but, he said, but he said, but I on my own accord can do nothing. On my own, I, I can't do nothing. I'm just another person. My, he said, my spirit is willing to go anywhere. It's the flesh is weak. <laughs> you see? Where are we at? He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now we come to Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. What is Jesus' own? He told the woman... In Matthew, what his own was, when she asked him to heal him, he said, I did not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. I cannot cast the bread to those of the children. Jesus only came for one people, and that was the tribe of Judah only. Paul sent people to the Gentiles, not Jesus. Jesus said, go not into the way of the Gentiles. So don't go teach them. And y'all are not Gentiles. Y'all are the lost tribe. And so-called Jews, who Jesus called the impersonators in Revelation, I don't know, blasphemy them who call themselves Jews or not. Those are your Gentiles. Those are your impersonators. Y'all are the blood of Abraham. You have the covenant, both covenants in your, in your veins. That then, he said he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. The tribe of Judah did not accept him. And Judas represented that. But as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. Here they say, so that means anybody that accepted Jesus can go to heaven. He didn't say that. He said, I came to my own, and my own received me not. But as many as do receive me, so was he talking about? As many of my own that receive me, not just a general, don't go from a personal to a general statement without a change in the grammar. It was a personal statement. I came to my own, my own received me not. But as many as do receive me, to them I give the power to become the sons of God. Did that mean every man could be a son of God? Right? <laughs> it was our trinity again. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
We all have the Father above us. We all are his children, and we all can be endowed with the Holy Spirit. Don't make you don't have the Muslims confuse you about the Trinity and make you speak about things you don't understand, because they don't understand, but they won't they, they don't have enough sense to read the rest of the book. And even in the Holy Quran, the tenth chapter, the ninety-fourth verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Muhammad, when you're confused about the Quran, go back to the people of the Torah. But Muslims don't do that. They create their own elite people of the hadith and they go to them. They won't even obey the Quran. Holy Quran ten for those who want to write it down. 94. And then read it. Somebody find it. We'll read that in a minute. Where are we at? Let's keep walking. Number 13, right? Which was born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus was not born of blood. Mary wasn't blood. She didn't conceive Jesus. Yes, she did. She was a female, a human being, who gave birth and had pains, the Bible says, birth pains, which is railed in deliverance. This is speaking about Jesus' spiritual incarnation, the angelic being, Jibrael, coming down to Mary as a busherin, a well-made man. And it says in the Holy Quran that Jesus was created just like Adam. Allah said to him, kun fayakun, be in existence. Muslims say, see, that means that the angel didn't come as a man. The angel came down as a man and shaped Adam too. <laughs> Adam was shaped as a dust of the ground, not by Allah, but by his angels, who are his helpers. Why we say Allahumma? And why the Torah says Elohim? That doesn't take away from his aloneness. He uses angels. They're sub-servants of his. Cherubim and seraphim. Cherubim is to his biddings of calamities and woes and set it up in to do his guidance and spiritual healing. The Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit, so they call it. And the word was made flesh. You see, the spirit of Allah came down into the flesh. That's Jesus. That word was made flesh in the beginning, too, with Adam. And with you. And where did he dwell? He dwell amongst us. And now they add some brackets because they want to cheat. So that means it ain't really written there. Now we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. You notice there's brackets on that? Yeah. That means if you look up in any dictionary that that wasn't really there, some Christian translator added that for a little color. Now let's read as if that's not there because it really wasn't. And the word was made flesh and dwell amongst us. Then it goes on and says, full of grace and truth. <laughs> Muhammad was full of grace and truth, too, the Quran says. <laughs> Moses was full of grace and truth. And all, all the other prophets. It's that little segment that they added in brackets that's leading the whole Christian church down the wrong road. You see the brackets in there? Do y'all see it? Yeah. Ask the Christian preacher why they add brackets. Because brackets mean it is an insert to make a point, to clear something up. But this is not just making something clear. This is adding a whole new idea in there. Look what they got. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now that's a contradiction. You know how you know that's a contradiction? Go to Psalm chapter 2. Verse 7 says what? Now this is talking about David, not Jesus. What does it say? I will declare the decree of the Lord. I will, de- I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, what? Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Correct? 
David in there? Didn't he just call David his son and say, this day have I begotten thee? And this was before Jesus was even born. This is the rule of King David. But in the back here, these people inserted my only begotten. And then their argument is, how can Jesus be the only begotten? And then they've they inserted only begotten. It wasn't there. The Psalm didn't say that. The Psalm recognized that David was the son and the only begotten in that day. You understand? Yeah. That's the Bible. I don't know what Reverend Pork got when they were trying to push. <laughs> I don't know what they up to. I know what the Bible is saying. So Jesus was the only begotten son in his day. That's right. He was the supreme being in his day. And when I say supreme being, I don't mean the loss upon the earth either. I mean just that, the supreme being. You see, not the supreme sovereign creator of the boundless universe. A being is a thing. You see that? A being is a thing. Look it up in the dictionary. He was a supreme being of his day. He was the wisest man of his time. He's a representative of God on earth in his time. He was Rasulullah, an apostle sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they called him a prophet in the scriptures. He said, a prophet is without honor in his own house. That's what Jesus said. So therefore, he called himself a prophet. Right? What house? The house of Nazareth. That's where they were stoning him when he said that statement. He went back to Nazareth and the people stoned him. He said, a prophet is without honor in his own house. Therefore, he called himself a prophet. Why do y'all call him God if he called himself a prophet? Why do they do that? Because they want to mislead me and you. They are the Antichrist. They're coming in his name, saying they are of him, and they are not. When he spoke about the comfort of coming, he told them, he, 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 he. He said, he would, if I don't go, he can't come. That cannot be the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why it can't be the Holy Spirit. Turn to Genesis. That he had turned to 1 Kings 18, 42. Then let somebody else turn to Genesis. 18.2. Let somebody else turn to Genesis 19.1. Let someone else turn to Luke 1.5. Let someone else turn to 1 Kings 18.54. All of y'all get to read the simultaneously and you see the Spirit was here before Jesus was born. Y'all ready to work? Huh? Let's start. What verse are we at now? Let's take Luke 1.15. That's one person. This is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was the wife of Zachariah. You understand that? Yes. Elizabeth was the daughter of Matra and Adia, a direct descendant of Aaron. For Moses, I give you the whole list of family names if you need it. Now, what does it say there in Luke 1, 15? For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Who is this mother they're talking about? Elizabeth. They're talking about Elizabeth, and they're talking about John the Baptist, correct? Mm. So John the Baptist, in this quote, had the Holy Ghost out of his mother's womb. I don't know what these Pentecostals are talking about. He sent the Holy Ghost later. <laughs> right there, it doesn't say that. 
It said that he had the Holy Spirit right out of her womb, right? You want some more? Did anybody get first king? You got that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the point is that I'm trying to make that the Holy Ghost was already here. So when Jesus made it conditional, that he said, if I don't go, the comforter cannot come. That would be wrong because he already had came. Jesus was talking about another prophet that would come after him. And that was the prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The seal of all the prophets who was to come after Jesus. And they also mentioned in the Bible, in Revelation, that this prophet will have a little book. Want to read about him? They have in the Bible. They say Muhammad's not in the Bible. When they get to Revelation chapter 10, they get confused as to what the little book is. That's by all their stuff, and I read it to see. If they know, they don't know. They wait for me to put it out, and then they come out with explanation. I don't mind as long as the truth reaches my children. He says in Revelation chapter 10, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. You see? And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book. Some of them trying to say that those are the scrolls. There's a difference between a book and a scroll. <laughs> and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book. Some of them trying to say that those are the scrolls. There's a difference between a book and a scroll. <laughs> That's not the seven scrolls of Revelation. He said a book, a little book. Seven scrolls is not a little book. The whole Torah is only five scrolls. Okay. What did he say about the little book? That's right. And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried, the seven thunders uttered their voices. Right? And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. John heard when the angel spoke seven verses. He started to write these things down. And what happened? And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up these things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. That's the same thing that was told to Daniel in his day. It is not time yet, for there was no man found in the earth, on the earth, or beneath the earth, worthy to open that seventh seal. That seventh seal was the Holy Quran. Let's see, because he's, you know how you know? Let's see who's the first seal. Adam, one. Right? Noah, two. Abraham, three. Isaac, Moses, right? Five. Jesus, what? Six. Seven is none other than the prophet Muhammad. Muhammad, seven. That's the seven seals. Each one of them brought a revelation. Okay. It never says it. It's just the fact that he's the seventh prophet in line after the major prophet that they spoke about in Deuteronomy 18.18 when, when they spoke about a prophet coming like Moses when up into Jesus' time that prophet hadn't come and when they asked Jesus
Jesus was here, he said, no, I am the Messiah. Though he was sent from Allah as a prophet, he said, I am the Messiah, meaning that there was still a prophet to be expected. I asked them the same question. Who was that prophet that they were talking about when they spoke to John the Baptist and Jesus that was yet to come? And he called him the comforter. You have been listening to The True Light, sponsored by the original Pens of Kedar, located at 717 Wishwick Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. You are also invited to attend the Questions and Answers class every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the Hall of Knowledge at 548 Park Street in Brooklyn, New York. And now, more profound than ever before, the Pampas of Peace, offered by the master teacher and spiritual guide, Sayyid Al-Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi, covering such topics as who's who on the planet Earth, the resurrection, who was noble Drew Ali, who was Jesus' father, who was Marcus Garvey, St. Paul, disciple or deceiver, and much, much more. Also to aid your spiritual growth, we have a beautifully crafted hand-woven prayer rug designed by Esayid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. We also have a large assortment of prayer beads, Nubian and Sufi oils, and incense. The original tense of Kidar would like for you to write or call us and let us know how the true light has changed your life. Remember, above all things, truth is truth.
Because this Bible tells you they have six fingers and six toes. Women, you walk away with that. Six fingers and six toes. Nobody in this room got six full bone fingers and toes. You know, bumps and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what pictures of them in books for you to see, Well, And why would you name your son a man? 
tell you why. Because the people before that were going after And they were going God. And he don't still call the sons and daughters of man. The Edomites. Right in the Bible. They don't put you back to Hebrew. And you can buy the software and do it to compute yourself. And get back to what? Do it, y'all. And now listen to this. Verse 26. This is the last line. Read it with me. Then began men to call Let's go back to verse chapter 4, alright? First, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. Guys, and Adam knew Eve his wife, right? And she what? Great. Great. Now, that's the man from the Lord, back and forth, and five is the first time they call him the Lord. Now, wait. How can you be a Lord and four, and five is the first time, the last verse of it when he first called him? The last verse of four is when he first started calling on the name of the Lord. Is this a first out of place? Did someone lie? Are they trying to trick us and play with our soul? So they can keep us mentally enslaved in religious bullcrap? A little first. Let's open verse 5 and see what happens here. Chapter 5, I'm sorry. This is a what? Oh. Oh.
when the Adamites began to multiply on earth and what? Daughters was born unto them. Go ahead, which one is that? The son of who? Timor's father. The son of God. He did his part. He did his part. He did everything. All human beings are sons and daughters of
sons and daughters of God. You ain't mere men. The men in this book are called beasts. Are called beasts in the field. Those are the evil beings who walk amongst you. Oh, all races. Mix it amongst us. Disagreeable. They were not agreeable. So the stars that came down from the stars didn't want nothing to do with the one that was disagreeable. They only wanted the one that was said there that was They took them and married the agreeable one. The word evil in there is the same word, disagreeable. When it says in Genesis, now the man has become like one of us to know good or evil, Watch, Genesis chapter um, 3, that's never around 26 of them. You know, y'all. 22. And, is it on the board? And the Lord is ready, y'all.
Church of Christ. This program is for one group of people and one group only, the children of God. You no longer have to wonder or wander off the straight path. For those that want to make a difference, for those that want to know the truth to so many unanswered questions, for those who are truly concerned about their soul, and for those that are tired of the devil taking control of everything in their lives and the lives of their children. The devil manipulates our children through the media and music and controls how they feel about themselves. As a result, the children leave the churches running to the streets where they are destroying their minds and their bodies, which is the temple of God, with drugs, tattooing, body piercing, weird hairstyles, unknowingly realigning and transforming themselves away from their image and into the image and likeness of the beast. Thus they lose interest in self and time. You know the devil has a kingdom right here on earth. How do you know? Because in the Lord's Prayer, we ask that God's kingdom comes to earth. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This program is set up for those who want to bring God's kingdom to earth. According to the scripture, Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness shall be added to you. Therefore, we must take back control of our lives. We, as the Egyptian Church of Christ, are reaching out to embrace all the children of God. As it states in Psalms 82.6, I have said, ye are God, and all of you are children of the Most High. Next, you will be listening to our pastor, Reverend Dr. Malachi V. York L., in question and answer form. Did you get those for the convictions of Satan things? No, in fact, the word pagan is the problem. When you look up in any dictionary, you'll get a poor definition of the word pagan. 
He usually identified pagan with anybody who is a non-Christian Hebrewist, a non-Muslim, or non-Jew. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the word means. You have to look into the Latin of the word, Middle English, from the late Latin, get the word paganus. Mm-hmm. And that word comes from country dweller or civilist, from pagus, meaning country or rural or district. It has nothing whatsoever to do with a person's religious beliefs or practices. Mm-hmm. It's Quite often in this country, in English, words are thrown around to confuse people. So immediately you somebody saying Egyptians worship statues or idols, and they'll show a bunch of dog-headed creatures and bull-headed creatures and bird-headed creatures, and immediately you go out and say, see, that's paganism. And then when you start seeing descending doves on the cathedral walls or in the stained glass when you see Christ riding an ass, and they'll identify that icon as a form of paganism. In the Judaic doctrine, they use the word Goyim, which meant a Gentile, someone who was not a reader of the Tanakh or the Torah. And that translates again as a form of paganism to them. But it's the wrong meaning. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible. There's no Egyptians were not pagans, other than the fact that they lived in the rural area. They lived in the deserts. They lived in, along the Nile. And that can apply to us down in Georgia or us down in small cities versus those visiting up in Atlanta or up in New York or in Chicago or in California in those, those cities of melting pots of evil like Sodom and Gomorrah. We were therefore, by the definition in the dictionary, being pagan, but it had nothing to do with our religious belief or our doctrine or the practices under which we live. Okay? So paganism has nothing to do with animal worship? Paganism has nothing whatsoever to do with animal worship according to a dictionary and a definition, right? But according to religious fanatics who want to stamp certain stereotypes on people because they can't explain certain facts. You have to deal with, when you go to the Bible, for instance, you have to deal with the fact that the word for Egypt is Mizraim, right? And that word, can you trace that name out in Genesis? From son to father, from son to father, from father to son, father to son, you're going to find, like I said earlier, that the Egyptians themselves are, in fact, of the blood of God. When you go, if you go from God or Elohim to Yahweh, according to the Bible of Genesis, by the time you get down past Adam and Eve, and then you get down to that third son, Seth, and then from Seth, the next most prominent character becomes Enoch, and then the next most prominent character becomes Noah of the flood, and then the next most prominent character becomes Abraham, when you go between Abraham and Noah, and you end up in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. And it says there, And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, and Foot and Can. When you get that son, Mizraim, Mizraim to them was an Egyptian. Now, how about Ham? The Egyptians have a word called Ham, means black skin or dark people. Now, many people refer to ancient Egypt as Kenneth. Many people referred to blacks in America in a derogatory way years ago as a cursed seed of Ham. Mm-hmm. It was then black were cursed, and then this became big, and here became that by the curse. And that's recognized out of Genesis 9.25. But you don't find it mentioning a curse on Ham. It says, cursed be Canaan, which is a son of Ham. But now when you go into the Bible, you look again into a Psalm uh, 105. Can someone read that? 105 verse 23. Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Right in that verse, you got that Israel came into Egypt. If you look in the Hebrew there, you find the word Mizraim. And then he said what? Read the verse again. Israel also came into Egypt. Mizraim. And Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. So Ham 
and Mizraim are the same people. And that goes back to Genesis chapter 10, verse 6 again. And the sons of Ham are Cush. Cush is Ethiopia. And Midrime, Egypt. And Phut, Libya. And Ham. And Ham is right there. Ham is the father of this seed. So if Ham fathered the Egyptians, and Noah, who God chose as a family to survive the flood, who God said should be fruitful and multiply, we heard it earlier. Noah, when we learn the story of the ark and all the animals, God spoke directly to Noah, and Noah's son was Ham, and Ham fathered Midrime, that puts the Midrime or Egyptians. And the Hamites, and the Cushites, and the Ethiopians, and the original Libyans, not the ones that's in Libya now who are Italians who invaded, but the dark King Holy Head, original inhabitants of that land, that makes them the seed of God. That makes them the blood of God. That makes them when God said, I created man in my image and after my likeness. When we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we find the word Ethiopia inside there as a place where God was said the best gold came out of. That day, these people, these Ethiopians, these Egyptians, these Muslimites, these Kushites, these Footites, these were all dark-skinned, woolly-haired people. These were Negro people, and they were the blood of God. Stay on the facts. Look at the Bible. Look into the Bible. Look into the words of the Bible. Look into word by word. Translate it. Get dictionaries, encyclopedias, go to the computer. Get logos, Bible, online Bible, and look for yourself. And let the Bible speak to you, directly to you, so you're communing with God yourself. And you won't have the power of thinking those Egyptians were other than the Hebrews or other than the Israelites. But as we explained earlier, Hebrews was not a tribe or a race or a religion. Hebrew was an act. The man who found the Hebrew called Abraham, the real name was Abram. If anybody's name was changed to Abraham. In Genesis 17, And he was a Chaldean, so they changed his name so he wouldn't trace it back to a Chaldean name. The Chaldean's language was a form of cuneiform. Cuneiform was a red script, a hieroglyphic script which they found in ancient Egypt first. When God took Adam and moved him eastward into the garden, he was moving him out of Africa and over into Asia, over into Jerusalem. So you say, Jerusalem is the mother of us all. Yes, because that's where you germinated your religious beliefs. But your seed originated in Africa. And the intellect of the world is founded in ancient Egypt. The Babylonian deity Tammuz that you find mentioned in the books of Ezekiel, where the children of the women of Israel go out and pray and call on this Sumerian deity, was a link directly to Anu. And Anu, when the Egyptian is Anu for two days, and it comes from Heliopolis, the city of the sun, so our acknowledgement and our sense of reality tells us that the deity we've been worshiping as the most high God, the most high or the highest is none other than Ray or the sun, called Shemesh in ancient Babylon, called Ray in ancient Egypt, and we say sun in Malachi, the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, giving warmth, giving life, giving vitality, the sustainer. That was the symbol that God represented as a circle in his eye, as the all-seeing eye who looks down over all humanity. The sun is not God. The sun is one of God's creations that represents the power of God. So Egyptians are, in fact, if you read your Bible, of the same bloodline, nothing new, not a new race, not a new tribe, not a new family, but of the direct line from Noah. 
that sun misery. Check it out. Don't believe me. Now the question should be, where did they go wrong? And how did they go wrong? How is it that they don't appear from the look onlookers to be worshiping the same God the same way? And that's there you'll find if you look in Isaiah 1914. You'll find out where a group of people, those people are called Canaanites. These are the cursed people. And these people were cursed with a disease called leprosy. If you read the books of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it gives you a total description of what it would look like and how this old disease affected them in appearance. If I, I'm not going to go into detail, you go read your Bible and see for yourself what it says in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 about the cursed seed of Canaan and what they look like. And what they were before, obviously, if I just explained it was a direct seed of Noah, and the Bible tells you it was a Muslimite, Kushite, and they were black people. Kush means black, Ham means black, no doubt about it. So where's that verse? Isaiah 19, 14. The princes of Zoan are to become fools. The princes of Noah are seed. They have also seduced Egypt. Even they are at the state of the tribes thereof. They have seduced Egypt. These groups of people came in and seduced Egypt and did what to them? Go ahead. The Lord has made a perverse spirit in the midst thereof. And put a perverse spirit in the midst of the Egyptians. What does perverse mean? To change something from the right to the wrong. Now, so when these groups of Hyksos or Canaanites came in from Babylon with their Babylonian practices and beliefs. They mixed it in with ancient Egyptian doctrine, thus beginning the 46th dynastic period from Menes all the way down. And the word Menes is the same as Mizraim as found in the Bible. It's all the same person. They brought in new doctrine, and the Egyptian doctrine became perverse. And that's when the curse of God came down on the Egyptians. The original Egyptians, pre-dynastic, had no problem with God. And in fact, when you read your Bible, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, that tells you that the God of Egypt, the Ammon, was there at the creation of God. Your Bible, you'll find it written in your Bible. I'm saying so we had no problem at the creation of the Hebrew God. We was there when Yahweh was created. We was there when the Elohim or when the Els created the Elohim. What is that quote you read earlier about the Els and the Elohim? Somebody read it. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And when you get the word the mighty, what do you get? Els. Els are the Elohs. You look on any Hebraic calendar and you'll find Elohs is where they got the word Elo from, Elohim, and where the Muslims get their word Elah or Allah from. And that Elo or Elo created the Elohims who are a plural deity. We found a quote with the quote where it speaks about them being plural. Was that it? First Samuel 2813. I saw God's plural in the Bible descending out of the earth. Talking about Samuel that previously died. And Saul talking about he saw Samuel amongst the gods. When you look at the Hebrew in that verse, you'll find the word Elohim. So right there, Elohim is a plural. But yet if I go back to Genesis chapter 1, Elohim is written off as a signal. If I use that verse, and use the same definition for God there and go back to Genesis 1, it'll be in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, one of them is wrong and one of them is right. Now, if you go to any Hebrew scholar and look it up, you'll find the word Elohim is a plural. The single of which is Elo and the root of which is El. 
So the Elohim are the ones. So it was God that was there when the Yahweh and when the Elohim was being created. Read Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 14. For us. Again, we've done this earlier. And unto the angel of the church of Lacedaemonians write, these things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. These things says the Amen, the Amen, the Amun, the Amun Ra, the ancient Egyptian, not a God, the Amun. What, what about him? What's the next part of that? The faithful and true witness. The faithful and true, not to be mistaken with the Hebrew word or the Arabic word Mu'min or Amun for faithful, but the Amun, the deity. What about him? The beginning of the creation of God. If you look it up, he was there at the beginning of the creation of the God of the Bible. So pre-dynastic period, we ancient Egyptians had no problem with God. We had no problem until a perverse nation came in. And it's a historical fact that a group of people known as what? Hyksos came into Egypt and brought in their culture. And they ruled for 430 years before a certain family, a man called Sequinaray Toth, who we in Freemasonry know as Hiram Abyss. He is responsible because out of him came Atmos and Atmos. And Atmos is the one who pushed these people out back across the burning sand and out of ancient Egypt. And then we reestablished our culture again. So our culture became perverse by invaders. Who are we? Some of us are scattered all over the world. Some of us went out of Egypt and set up the land of Philistines. How do we trace them? We go back to the Bible again and we look at Genesis. Genesis chapter 10, verse 13 through 14. And read. And Mithraim begat Ludem, and Anamim, and Luhebim. And next to him, mm-hmm. and Hathusim and Kathluhim, out of whom came Philistines. You see that in the Bible? They tell you that Kathluhim, right, produced the Philistines. Now, the Bible tells us that who was a Philistine? Goliath was a Philistine. And Goliath was a what? A giant. A giant. And then we go back to Genesis chapter 6, and we get. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And this was before the Torah. And this was before Judea. These are not Judean people here, according to them. This is before Judea and before Hebrew. That doesn't put them out of the blood of the Bible. Because Noah was before Hebrew. Enoch was before Hebrew. And Seth was before Hebrew. Abraham was the first man to be called a Hebrew. And the word Jew doesn't exist in the Bible anywhere. But it wasn't even the word exists. It gets mistaken for the word Judea, a place where the family got split into two parts, Israel and Judea, where there was a conflict between the two sons of David, Solomon and Adonijah. And one went to the south and became Judea, and the other stayed and became known as Jerusalem. You follow? So the family splits down into morning one. So here you find here, the Philistines are the Egyptians. Again, and they're of the bloodline of Mizraim, who's a son of Ham, who's a son of Noah. Somebody don't want black people to know that they are the Egyptians. Someone don't want you to see yourself anywhere great. They don't want you to know that you are the Egyptians. 
They don't want you to know that you are the real Libyan. What you see in Egypt today are invaders, Europeans, who came in there, Berbers, who came in there and mixed in and possessed our country, took the meaning of those statues and turned it into the term pagan. It didn't mean pagan. Those statues were symbols of God's creation. And they were no more paganistic than if I go to the Revelations in our New Testament and I start describing the four beasts that sit around the throne. And then many of artisans in, the, in Christendom have drawn those four beasts, named the four beasts. The head of a man, the head of a lion, the head of a bird, and the head of a bull. And these are all symbols out of ancient Egypt. All of you think of the head of a man, you get Osiris. When you think of the head of a bird, you get Horus. When you think of the head of a bull, you get Apis bull. And when you speak of the lion, you get a tear with all the six. These are Egyptian symbols in our Bible. Why are they in our Bible? Because our Bible was born out of Egypt. Because God says in there that he comes out of Egypt. You don't believe me? Let's go to Hosea. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. From the land of Egypt. God came from Egypt. Mm. <laughs> Read it again. And I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. Right in the Bible. God came out of Egypt. So if God came out of Egypt, and we read in Acts that the Egyptians were there, right? Then the language of God was? Nawapic is the word. That's why they call Nawapians. And everybody thinks with some crazy cult that made up this name. Mm. Because it's one of those things the devil just don't want you to know about mm. yourself. Mm. He don't want you to know your relationship to God mm. as ancient Egyptians. And it doesn't in any way mm. infringe upon your Christianity mm. and your practice. Mm. It doesn't at all. The very doctrine mm. of Egypt gave birth to our Christianity. Mm. The doctrine we accept and believe in. You see that? Yeah. So that one language was Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And when you get down to it, you're going to get down to a man named Nimrod. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. And he's a master builder. Mm-hmm. He's also called a Jeroenian. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you'll find that the Gibbon, or Jeroeans, were men of renown, mighty men. Because they're born of sons of God and daughters of men. And they classified him, one, the word they call him a mighty one, a mighty hunter before the Lord. You look up the word mighty in the Hebrew, and you find the word give on. You have a message? Right at also in Hosea 13, 4, it is. In Hosea 13, 4, it says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. Savior. Yet I am the Lord Yahweh, by Elohim, from the land of Egypt. You got that? What else does it say? And thou shalt and thou shalt know no God but me. Talk to me. For there is no savior besides me. And the Hebrew word there for savior is Yeshua. Yeshua. You know what that Yeshua is? It's Yeshua, the real name for Christ. But Jesus is not his name. That's Jah and the Greek god Zeus when they hit you with the word Jesus. They took the word Jah out of Psalms and they hit you with the word Zeus for their god, Rhea, 
family on back down to Kronos in them, and they got you calling on God by the wrong name. His name is Yahshua HaMashiach in Hebrew. So therefore, you see, if you read Hebrew, you see here, and way back in Hosea, it says that Yahshua is coming out of Egypt. Didn't it say that Matthew, I'll call my son out of Egypt? Read that photogram while she searches out Matthew. Go ahead. 13.4, Hosea. Yet, yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. I am the Yahweh, the Elohim. Right? Now he covered both. He, both, he covered both the Yah and the Alif in this. Go ahead. And thou shalt know no God but me. You shouldn't, but the word there, yeah, you know what they got there? No L. But this God, we look in Hebrew, is not Elohim. It's L. We're back to the root again of the Elohim, the ancient name. The ancient name that goes back to the Sumerians. It predates us. The Canaanites use that name. The Akkadians use that name. The Sumerians use that name. The people of Uruk use that name. All the people of ancient Babylon, all up through what's called Iraq today, all up in the, in the plains of memory where Abraham and them are buried, they use that name. The name still exists today. Il or El. There's two of them. One is with the Alif and one is with the Ayin. The Alif is El like in the God, and then there's the Ayin which is El like from on high. When we say the most high, we're talking about Ilyun, which is equivalent to the most high God, which is Amun Ra, who has takes on three forms to us. Takes on the Atun Ra, takes on the Atun Ra, and the Amun Ra. You know, the three positions of the sun, the rising sun early in the morning, when it says in the Bible, get up to pray in the morning, because we pray three times a day, at high noon, the meeting point of all those who are wise, noontime, and setting the nighttime. And that's the time we pray, the three most valuable times of day. And then in the motion of the sun for the God Ra. And you can find the God Ra in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Why? Because Abraham, the patriarch and the father of Hebrew, chose a wife out of Egypt called Hagar. And when she was cast into the wilderness by his half-sister Sarah, Sarai, who became Sarah, she called on a God. And the book reads what? And she called the name of Yahweh that stuck under her, the El, you see that? Roy. The El Roy. The word El Roy there is nothing but Ra Alif. Ara A. And the yard is there. The El Ra. She called on El Ra, the Most High Ra, the Egyptian deity, the Most High God. This is Hagar, Abraham's Egyptian wife, mother of Ishmael, who had 12 princes who became the Arab nation and a daughter. And these she called on the same God, Ra, the Most High. Right in the Bible. With me? So we find here in Hosea 13, 4, the word Yahshua for Christ. And it tells them there, please read that again, because people need to hear this over here. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. Where is he from? What's the word for it? Menos. What's the word? Menos. From. Out of. I came from. I'm. That's where I'm from. Everybody take you back to Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. Again, they tell you that same God, I'm in Rob, in our Bible. There ain't no alien out there. And nothing about Egyptian is alien to us or paganistic to us because it, I just showed you how the Egyptians are the family after the flood. The family that God chose to survive the flood with Noah 
and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now you got them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the seed of Noah, and the Egyptians are in that blood. And these people were created by God in the image, not the likeness of those Elohim or God. Therefore, those people are what? The blood of God. The chosen people. Why was this kept from us? I'll tell you why. It is not racism. I'll tell you why. Because when you go to Egypt, my country, where people look like me, and I look like you, I can walk this piece of Athens and speak English every day, and people don't even know I'm an Egyptian. You follow? Because if you go to ancient Egypt and you look on the wall, you got more pyramids in Sudan and in Nubia than you have up in Cairo, first of all. Let's get that established. Ramesses and all the great and Seti are all down. Hashem said, Uncle Nunton took Uncle all from Nubia. They were all Africans. They were all woolly haired, nappy haired, dark skinned people. And you'll see this on the wall. The writing is on the wall. So they got to make a disconnection between Egypt and Christianity or Egypt and Judaism to make you think that they were heathens, but that's not what God said. God said the Savior comes out of Egypt. Jesus Christ himself, according to the Bible, was taken out of Judea and taken to Egypt and stayed there until he was 12. Well, in Judaism, at 13, you get what's called a bar mitzvah for male or bat mitzvah for female. And at that point, you become an adult. Right. So he got all this. So they say he was waxed wise and wisdom. He got all that teaching in Egypt. Moses lived in Egypt 40 years of his life. Got his revelation, his knowledge, his culture from Egypt. And he became the father of the Bible we're reading. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's go back here again. Let's see. Go ahead. So what? There are many facts hidden in the Bible. The facts are not hidden. People are detouring you from that. Okay. They don't want you to find these quotes. They pick out the quotes they want to support their belief system. Okay. They keep you pouring money out your pocket. They keep you devoted to them. They keep you blinded okay. from the facts of the Bible. They call it light. Right? But light is fire in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There was no fluorescence or incandescence on electricity back then. So whenever they talk about light, whether they call it light knowledge or light candle or light torch, it was always the same thing, fire. And fire can be used to either warm your house and feed your family or burn it down. You know what I'm saying? Hello. Let's see what happens. You are listening to Reverend Dr. Malachi G. Rose Adams, the pastor of the Egyptian Church of Christ. If you would like more information about the Egyptian Church of Christ or the ancient Egyptian order, you can email us at egypt3xp at aol.com or you can visit our website at www.egyptianmysteries.com. Remember, that's Egypt with an I, not a Y. Or you can even visit our bookstore, All Lives on Egypt. Located at 232 Baxter Street, right here in Athens, Georgia. Now, we'll return back to our program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I heard you talk about a lot of uh, the people that are spoken of in the Word of God that went to Egypt. Yes. Jesus and Abraham and Isaac, they, were, they all went to Egypt. Yes. These were people that we can see in the Word of God that were guided. Yes. By God Almighty, as they went through 
throughout their lives. But when we get to the New Testament, we see uh, people like Luke uh, that wrote books, Mm -hmm. people like Paul. Mm-hmm. Went in the wrong direction. They never went to Egypt. <laughs> My Bible has a map in the back of it of Paul's missionary journey. Mm-hmm. And it shows him going throughout Asia, going to Italy, going to Ephesus, all these different places, but he never went to Egypt. Mm-hmm. That was one. So, how can we identify with Paul when he really is not like us? You know, he. I understand how you feel. Yeah. He's John. John the Beloved was the one who brought the book of Revelation. Okay. And the book of Revelation clearly states this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. What those guys did is they went to the Greek god, Theos, okay. and broke away from the Egyptian god, Tamar. But because of fear, at everybody's prayer, at the end of it, they stuck Amen back in. And Amen is not just a word meaning uh, so might it be. That's not what it comes from in Hebrew. Now, it's an Egyptian word grafted into the language when the Hyksos, who were the original Israelites, lived in Egypt for 430 years. Mm-hmm. And when Osmos from Nubia, brother or half-brother Cosmos, pushed them across the burning sands and out of Egypt and back to Jerusalem, they took things over there with them. And the thing that remained, let's go to Revelation, chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Lodicians. Oh, we're looking at Lodicians. Okay. That's one amazing break. Tell those Greeks this. These things that said the Amen. These things that said the Amen. The Amen. This is not Amen asking the end of the sentence to seal the verse. This is a definite article. Say the Amen. That's Amen. Amen is just an English way of using the Egyptian god Amen Ra. The same one we started out with the book of Malachi. Coming with healing for the son of righteousness, coming with healing on his name. You got Amen Ra or Amen, but you give you God. If you look inside a local Bible dictionary or Strong's Concordance, you know they'll give you the meaning of that Egyptian deity. In the book of Revelation, it said, Go teach the Greeks about the God Amen or Amen Ra. Where it is. These things said to Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He was the beginning of the creation of God. Listen to the statement before you get caught. He was the beginning of the creation of God. God had a creation, and the Amen was there at the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. Where that else is there? They say that Amun was a definite article before the Amun. Now, the ancient Egyptian word for Amun, which is one of three principles of the motion of the sun. That's something people don't understand. You have three principles for the motion of the sun, just like you have three definitions in the three letters in the word G O D God. I'm not going to go too deep into that. But the three motions of the sun is the sun rising, the sun hiding, and the sun setting. Well, the sun setting was the Amun Ra. The sun rising was the Atum Ra. And uh, so it is high because it's atun. Atun with an M, atun with an atom, atom with an organism with God, atom with the sun rays, and then the amun when things ended. And that's why at the end of your prayers, as you were a Christian, you said amen. 
If he was a Muslim, he said, I am mean. If he was a Jew, he said, I am mean. All of them are the same thing. What did the word not mean in Hebrew or in Arabic where the word means faithful? They're showing you the Syriac because they tell you the tongue of those people in Pentecost or the disciples of Galilee, which is a form of Arabic if you look it up. So therefore, the word here, the Ammon will be El Amin, which means the faithful. But if it's a derivative from the ancient Egypt, the God in ancient Egypt, Amun-Ra, his name means the hidden mystery of the sun. You follow what I'm saying? But now notice here that the Egyptian belief system existed thousands of years before the Bible, thousands of years before the Torah. And let me give you a then situation. Let's turn to the Bible. A then man began to call the name of Jehovah. Genesis chapter 4, verse uh, 26, it says, And he said, To him also there was born a son, and they called his name Enos. Enos is a Hebrew word meaning mortal or human being. Alright? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men. Then means at a specific point in time. Then, after Enos was born, then men started praying to the Lord. The word Lord here is Yahweh or Jehovah, as it sometimes translated for the Testament, four words, Yahweh, Wahweh. That's it. But then men began. So Jehovah wasn't always being called for as God. There was a period of time when Jehovah came into play. He wasn't always there. Jehovah's Witnesses, he wasn't always there. Then, read it yourself. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then when? Then after Enos, when man no longer was a god, but when man was a man woman. What the name Enos means, a woman, when man now had to call for his soul to get his soul restored, try to make a connection with God again. Because of the malicious, the evilness that was coming out of his blood because of Cain. And then another son was placed in place, which was Seth. Right. Now, Seth. Seth happens not to be a Hebrew word. The word they have in there is sheep. Mm. It's from an Egyptian word, Seth. Mm. And who is Seth? Mm. So close to ancient Egypt, and he's the one that had a war with Horus. Mm. Well, who is Horus? The son of God, Osiris. Because it's Seth trying to put out the light of Osiris. Or sunset, the setting of the sun. Symbolism for the Bible interpretation. So what I want to show you though by this verse is that man was called on Jehovah. And then when you get back to Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, it tells you that this Amun rock, which is that same one, was before Jehovah. He was there when Jehovah had his beginning. What did it say? The Amun, the faithful, the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. What did he witness? The beginning of the creation of God. Well, he was before God. What did he witness? The beginning of the creation of God. The Egyptian deity, your deity, was there when the Jewish gods were being created. When they were taking our gods and giving them Jewish names. So we're not talking about the creation of a God principle. We're talking about the creation of the Jewish, the Hebrew principle. Right, right. Because if you ask anybody what language Jehovah is, they'll say Jehovah is a Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you ask them, was Noah a Hebrew? You'll have to think. 
was Enoch a Hebrew? They have to think. Was Adam, Cain, Abel, were they Hebrew? They have to think. Because the answer is no. The first man to be called a Hebrew was Abraham. That's correct. Abraham. And he wasn't a Hebrew by nationality, nation, nor birth. He was a Chaldean. Right. And right. spoke Chaldean, a language of Puneiform. Mm. He brought in all of Chaldea. Right. Mm. And the Phoenicians mm. called him Hebrew. Mm. The word Ibnit mm. or Hebrew mm. meant to cross from one side to the other. That's all it means, to cross over. So when Abraham left his homeland, his national state of Syria, mm-hmm. you understand? Mm-hmm. And he crossed over the Tigris with Flaming Valley on his journey toward Egypt. The Benedictines who saw him cross over said, These are elite in their language, those who cross over. So he was not a religion, he was not a nationality, he was not even a race. Hebrew Israelites are fooling themselves. Mm-hmm. Look it up. Do some research. Don't believe me. Check it out. Mm-hmm. It's an act. Mm-hmm. A verb. It's a verb. Yeah. <laughs> they are walking from one place to the next. So the language of God in the Bible couldn't be Hebrew because Noah wasn't a Hebrew and God talked to him about the flood. Adam wasn't a Hebrew and God talked to him. Cain wasn't Hebrew, nor was Abel, nor was Eve. And God spoke to all of them. Mm, like the Egyptian language. In the Egyptian language. Before, I was going to be before, Hebrew was even created. You understand what I'm saying? Now you go do some research if you dare to know the truth so that you may be free of the bonds of faith. So you can get yourself free. Finally, within the last days in time, the reason why he's not coming is that we're calling on the Lord. We're talking about this coming. It's coming here and here until we get back on track. And that's why in Hebrew, they say Moses went up to the hub, the mountain of life. <laughs> that Hebrew word for mountain is hub. They said Muhammad. Was in Mount Pierce. Yeah. Pierce, where yeah. Angel Gabriel came in and filled him with the light. It's always there, Haru. And Jerusalem, the sacred city of God, is called Jerusalem in Greek. Horus's peaceful city. They know that. The mystery there, the names are in the Bible. It's right there, but there's a hidden code. It must be the classic. For those, you got an air up here. Okay. Mm-hmm. You spoke about uh, the set, the different stages of the sun, and you spoke about Anunnaki ray, Atun ray, and Atun ray. That's good. Isn't that originally like a trinity? That is the original trinity. The, con- the conflict is that when we start talking about the personage, mm-hmm. not the physical, yeah. we are now talking quality. The word quality means four. Not Trinity, meaning three. Because they left out the mother. Mm-hmm. They left out Mary. It is God the Father. God is the mother. Mm-hmm. Mary. Yes. God the Son. 
and God the Holy Ghost. That body without Mary, the angel Gabriel came to her and said, Hail Mary, thou hast been chosen above the women of the world. She was no longer a woman. He took her out of womanhood and made her a God, just like Exodus says that God did. Read it. God has a power to deliver men into God. That Exodus 7.1. Right? And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Aaron, thy brother shall be thy prophet. Say that again. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, this Yahweh, this Yahweh said, See, I have made thee a God. I have made you Moses a God. Now you're going to hear the big G, little G, but not in the Hebrew. The word Elohim in Hebrew, there's no big G. And the other first of all, there's no G in the word Elohim at all. <laughs> the word for G in Hebrew is divine. The first letter of the God of the Bible, Elohim, is either Ayi or Yah for Yahweh. There's no big G in the whole picture. <laughs> not even in the Greek. But it's not Gamma, it's Thetos. There's no G involved. So the big G, little G, capital G, small G is another one of the devil tricks. Mm-hmm. To make you not know as a child of God, you can be raised to sit on the right hand side of God with Christ. Mm-hmm. As God. Jesus said, He said, Y'all will do greater works than I. Mm-hmm. He told you what you have to work your way up to. Mm-hmm. But they want to keep you as a man, they want to keep you wallowing in sin. They spoke of Matthew 4 4. Mm-hmm. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. And in this day and time, men is dying mm-hmm. because they are living, trying to live by way of everything other than that. And you're going to live Yeah. That's right. And most old men will not walk you through the Bible word for word. They'll give you a sermon. They'll give you a lecture, they'll give you a nice teaching, they'll make you feel good, but will they sit down and go word by word with the word of God in the original languages and show you what's really hidden there. If they can, they ain't taking the time to do that. They just want to be theatrical and sound good and be impressive. And you've been going your your life because it's a family church, so you feel good, then you feel familiar. So you don't want to go nowhere. But what about the truth? When Jesus and disciples came along, the people there were familiar also. They were content. They had a doctrine, they had family synagogues, they went to the little rabbi, they were content with what they were being taught, but Jesus came over and turned over the tables. Mm-hmm. So this is my father's house. Mm-hmm. Take this money, change it out of here. Mm-hmm. He said, render on the season with the seasons, you know, the God with his God. Mm-hmm. There's no room for, ah, this is my family church, and I like the rabbi. And I'm like, ain't no room for that time for the truth. Mm-hmm. And whoever's teaching the truth, that's what you listen to. And don't believe anybody. Mm. You check it out when your own self and your soul is yours. Mm. You better protect your soul when they didn't put anything else from you. Mm. They got your body to tell you how to dress and what to eat and where to go and how fast to travel and how far to travel. Mm-hmm. Tell you when to go to school, when to graduate, what time they get to work, what time they need to take the time to tell you which programs you're going to like. Mm-hmm. They got your body. The only thing you got left is your soul. And you got to protect your soul. Mm-hmm. And make that soul an individual thing. Mm-hmm. And, your, and your quest 
in an individual and move as a group. My friends believe it, so I believe it. My family believes it, so I believe it. I was born it, so I should accept it. Now, Lord, with individuals, but you sit down yourself and converse with God, your Father, who art in heaven, holy. And you converse, and you set on your own quest for the truth, and don't stop until you've been satisfied. You understand? And many of my fellow pastors, brethren, are going to be mad at me, but they don't want me to say this. So they got they got a nice thing going. Right. But the truth shall make you free. Knock and the door shall be open. That's right. Ask. So Reverend, you're speaking about a personal experience with God. Oh yes. That's what it's about. How can you have anything else if he's your father? And you did say, Jesus said, Pray ye after this manner. Our Father, Abba Nan, Allah Dee our Father who art in heaven. He didn't say our Father who art me. He said our Father who art down here with you. He told you right there in the Lord's Prayer where God is. You want to go there? Go to Matthew 6, 9. Let's go there and see what it says. You got a little time, don't we? Matthew 6, 9. After this man is here for free. Jesus said, This is in the fire. This is in the red print. Mm-hmm. You don't want that money passed around for people to see. Mm-hmm. He 
That's all. Maybe that's what I know. Just enough to survive from day to day. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. And lead us not into temptation. Well, lead us not into temptation. Because mm-hmm. there in temptation we're going to find evil. Mm-hmm. These are the temptations. But, 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 deliver us from evil. So you see how evil and temptation is working together? Right. Seduction, lust, wants, desires, needs. I want this. I want to have this. I want to become this. I'll be a great star. I'll be a great movie star. I'll be a great model. I want to be rich. I want this kind. All that is. The Lord for them. Lust and lust of the Go ahead. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom. For well, yours, Jesus is saying, yours, God, is the kingdom. God, who are in heaven, yours is the kingdom. And the power. Yours is the power. And the glory. Yours is the glory. Forever. Forever. They will never be cut off. There he goes. Amen. 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 I'm going to God again. Back to the principles of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And now, we will have the Egyptian Church of Christ Community Announcement. On November 11th, from 6 p.m. to 12 midnight, the Northeast Georgia Council will be holding their annual awards banquet. It will be held at the Georgia Center for Continual Education. The guest speaker will be Senator Charles Walker. For more information, please call 706-354-4296. That's 706-354-4296. We would like to remind everyone to get out and vote. Have a voice in who runs our government. And you can do so on Tuesday, November 7, 2000. We'll meet you at the polls. Also, we would like to encourage everyone to join the NAACP. And we would like to bring the Rainbow Torch Coalition to Athens, Georgia. We as a people need to make a difference. We've been listening to Reverend Dr. Malachi D. York L., the pastor of the Egyptian Church of Christ right here in Athens, Georgia, in a question and answer forum. If you would like to receive a copy of this tape, you can email us at Egypt 3 3 at AOL.com, or you can even visit our website at www.egyptianmysteries.com. Remember, that's Egypt with an I and not a Y. Or you can even visit our bookstore located at 1072 Baxter Street. If you have any questions or comments, please call us at area code 706 
Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. 
Yeah. 
is not for this coming, not according to the word of God. You brothers, you brother ministers, and pastors and teachers, you got to get away from that job. You don't need them no more. There was a time when I had a church with just family and cousins and a couple of friends. There wasn't no more than 20, 30 people in our congregation. It wasn't like it was today, but when now you can stand there and you can talk about that reverend Christ, we'll be talking to almost 50,000 people in one day.
things is a problem. But when in reality, what we spoke about last week, when an individual who belongs to religion identifies with one God, and a Muslim will say, um, Bashrik Allahu, or Kulhu Allahu Ahad, he allows one, there's no partner with him, then who is you? Then you become the second part. The person that's there to make the statement, there's one God. So we all say, no, there's no um, pantheism or there's no pluralization in God. There's only one God. The next question to that person is, are you that God? And they say, no. They say, then what part do you play in? If the whole universe is unified under God, as God, and you're not God, then aren't you the second part? And does that therefore take away from the, what you refer to as the divine union of God, or the tawheed of God, or oneness of God, by virtue of the fact that you're, the, that you're here to declare Allah's oneness? When you say Allah Muhammad, or that he is absolute in some translations, and self-sustaining and self-sufficient in others, you know, that you do that, self-sufficient from what? And what does he subsist on? And what is it that he, why is it necessary for him to become self-sufficient? I'm saying that because when you get past that nine, there's no more things. Because the first thing would be God. Not that Muslim, Christian, and Jewish say the first thing in existence would have to be God, the one almighty God. Correct? Or Allahu Ahad. Allah is one. Or in the, in the Hebrew they say Elohim Ahed. Then it's nine. They say they're going Elohim, plural, is Ahed. One group of Elohim. But it keeps going back to that same principle. And I'm saying, how do you differentiate God as one if you're not here to say God is one? And if you're here to say God is one, then you're the second part or person here making the statement. You're the one responsible for the duality by virtue of the fact that you find it necessary to say God is one. You follow what I'm saying? It's a very tricky thing. For lack of a better word, thank you for things, but to be honest, I'm trying to say for lack of a better word, I'm going to say things. Okay, okay. Lack of better word, things beyond um, that state, the ninth state. Now, what you want me to do is you want me to play a game with you. You want me to go into an area where you don't have the proper question and give you a proper answer. So just have uh-huh. a lack of a better word beyond those things where things are. Now, you want me, now you don't want to expect me to add the missing pieces to your puzzle. I don't have right? a word. Neither do I. Because there is no word for it, but the word becomes flesh the moment it's spoken. If I'm saying the word becomes flesh the moment it's spoken, but anything that you can call a word is a noun, which is a person, a place, or a thing. And that's the realm in which I told you you're all trapped in. And if you can think outside of it, then you're really outside looking out inward, and you're looking from an intellect. Let me explain that. An intellect is things that we hear all discuss, communicate back and forth, inscribe, that's intellect. Once I and you, and if we don't this in your hand, and I agree with you that's a microphone, a microphone that becomes what we refer to as common sense. Now there's things going on outside of our, of, of our vision. There's things that, the, let's say, the um, astronomers are still trying to find out about outside there. Things around them, they pretty well have that under control. Things inside the Earth's atmosphere 
all the inside the sphere, and if we will have those things figured out. That's the intellect. Those things from the outside that they don't or cannot and have not discovered or uncovered right, or figured out is called outlet. That's the last point of reason to say it's out of my flexibility. It's outside of it. So you say, now, I'm going to talk about something outside of my flexibility. And I'm going to say, well, I'm going to have to use words that are from intellect. And that's going to cause more confusion. We'll keep going around because you're on your way to the, to the rim of space where you become an intellectual being and not stay within this realm under his rule as an intellectual being. So we can approach the question as long as you're not asking me to give you intellectual dialogue about intellectual information. Javala, let try again then. Oh, when you say suppose, you're asking me to have faith. <laughs> suppose I'm going to go up there and I'm going to have faith with him. <laughs> so can I look at um, the word? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's very difficult. For everybody, so you have, now you got everybody wondering what you want to say. Please express it the best way you know how. And I'll try to express it back the best way I know how. When you, when you first explained to us about things being uh, before hydrogen, meaning the core, and then first recognizing that as non-existent, and now it's being a part of existence because they um, identified it right. and made it known to exist. Right. And um, you also explained to us that there are sub atoms of particles that exist beyond the core, outlet, outlet, which makes it, in a sense, non-existent from what was thought to exist. Non-existent of non to those non-existent to those who can't see them. Right. Okay. Now, and my first question about Lord was thinking about, which you already answered, I guess, about how those things that are not relative exist in a state that doesn't have uh, as before court. In other words, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Because the moment you just state, <laughs> we had another problem. <laughs> but I, but I grasp it going. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Um, we've been given in the pool, I think, but that. The story that we've been given in the series that they are. For lack of a better word, a lot more, well, there are a lot more advanced than us. But when you read about some of the things that they've done in their emotional state, in terms of when you, you see Asset and Ray, she wanted information, she wanted the, ma- the magic word from Ray. That comes across like um, the same human frailty that we have today. Not, and not necessity? Sorry? And not necessity? <laughs> what do you mean by that, not necessity? If, if um, Amun Ray had a sacred word that opened doorways to help, correct? By me wanting it, 
uh, and and because as a female in that school, I'm not entitled to it. If I figure out a way to get it as a as a necessity to pass on to other women for that same thing, that still comes across as human frailty. She wasn't supposed to have it. Uh huh. By men. By men. We must hold it to keep her down. We must keep the secrets in the lodge under the symbol of a two-ball pain to keep the female down. Because we can't admit to the world that she is God and we're not. Because we are in control now. And if we ever let go of control, she'll take control. We won't know whether she's going to get revenge for the way we treated her. All these years, as a mother, this woman is being put in a position where she's being ignored for her ultimate. Or let's say, let's go back to Christianity. Mary is being ignored, and Christ is giving the credit. And according to the Bible, Mary delivered Christ. So without Mary, there'd be no Christ. But in Christianity, and only in the Catholic faith, they even lean towards giving her an influence of any respect. But in other churches, Mary is just the mother of God. Should women feel that we are betraying her, uh, underplaying her, <laughs> if I'm saying? And is it wrong if she seeks to overthrow us? That would be a human frailty because she says, looking at the condition of the world in the hands of men, and they have the secret, we must get this secret so we can take over. Is that wrong? <laughs> I'm wondering. Okay. I'm with you. I think the problem is, let me go back further. I think the problem is when you hear the word Nectiru, or Nectarite, or Nectarite, or Anunnaki, as human beings, you're forgetting that you're a God-man also. And all the human weaknesses a symbol of God's weaknesses because God has put his spirit in man. Does that mean, by virtue of the fact, that man is a physical manifestation of the word becoming flesh, an incarnation of a part of God, with the spirit of God moving through him, when any one man does evil, is God condemned as being evil because of that man's weakness? Or is it a title like boss, and lord, and captain, and chief, that has bestowed on individuals? because they have rank over others. By that I mean, Asylum or Osiris was a deity of the upper or lower world. Upper or lower world? Lower world. So Osiris was sent to the underworld, not the upper world, listen. Correct? Amun-Ra, raised from the underworld, from Tulun, primordial life, which is the female, or in the egg, as they call it, which is symbolic of the sun, or as they say, the bright morning star in the Bible, right? raised out of peace and travel the skies. And we gave the God of the sky. Thus we put God in heaven and say, our Father who art in heaven, which in a sense says, our Father who is not on earth, or there'd be no reason to say, our Father who art in heaven. The very statement, our Father who art in heaven, if he is omnipresent, means that he must have been on earth and has now gone to the heavens, 
If our, or if he's only in heaven and never been to earth, then he's not omnipresent. And not everywhere and in everything at every time. So when they say, so God so loved the world, that he, what, sent his, so a portion of him is sent as his, to carry his word of salvation and grace into the world. And if Jesus, and Jesus did, at one time, become the very Thomas that he talked about, the Dalton Thomas. Because at one point he said, what? My God, my God, why have thou? And the word was thinking. When you ask God Almighty why, you already felt beneath God's left. Man, beast, says to God, why? But God can't ask God why he does a thing, because as God, God would already know why God does everything. So when Jesus was in that state, and he said, Eli, Eli, lemon of Ecclesi, or my God, my God, Eli, or Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why? Yeah, why? Then we'll go on to the next statement. Have thou left, forsaken the word there in the Hebrew, is left me there, or departed from me. Why have thou left me? At that state, God, who was once word, logos, who now was flesh, God, became mortal. Therefore, no other time in the life of Jesus, at that moment, when he said, why, he was no more than another And when he questioned God as to God's decision to forsake him, was he as bad as when Thomas questioned him about the wounds in his hand in the upper room that rendered or gave Thomas the title, Doubting Thomas. I'm I'm going the route of Christianity because this is the Western world doctrine. And of course it came out of Egypt. And the same principles will apply to Osiris coming down the underworld, rising up, and his son coming to earth as Horus, and being challenged and tested by man. But look, you call it it's the same principle. So the principle in terms of the tamarind, so what, what I'm trying to get yeah. into my mind is that when you talk about the identity, you, you look at them. You do. That's yeah, Christianity, okay. yeah. that's Judaism, and that's Islam. That monotheistic belief is to put God in a position or a place where mortals judge his decisions by themselves. See, what we're saying is, Abraham, if the Bible takes the story of Jesus Christ and takes his family and takes them all the way back from blood to blood, we got, we got, we got, we got, then back to Adam and said, in Adam, the son of God, then the Bible is putting Jesus' genealogy into God's genes. He calls him the son of God. He's the same word, you're at birth by God. So Jesus was related to God. You follow? So the things that God did, Jesus could do. The things that, what? Jesus did, God did. That's why Jesus said, you don't even do greater works than I am not greater than he who I am my own accord can do. 
You try to tie in the relation. When you see me, you see. You follow So, again, you're putting the Egyptian uh, deity in the same light of the faith that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam demand. Blind faith in a supernatural power that condenses itself into a father or ye God image and therefore is above mistake. You follow? And the first mistake that this God power would have made would be to become less than God and try to remain God. And by that I mean by the first, by virtue of the fact that he created something from himself. If the Bible be true, for those who accept it, he said, I what? Created man in my image, my own image, that's my own likeness. And I blew into him of my breath. And he became a living, so a portion of God departed from God and became Adam. And a portion of God departed from God and through Adam became Jesus. With me? So now, if God is God in totality as God, if a portion is taken away from him, is he still totally God? Or does he become less than God? If I take some milk out of the container, it's milk, but it's not the full container of milk. So now the question is, God can do everything except become less than God and still be God. So you say, what, can, what is it that God can't do? He can't become less than himself. He can't act contrary to be he can't act contrary to being God and still be God. And that's why I told people never fear devil worshippers. You don't have to worry about devil worshippers. Satan is going to deceive them. That's his job. Satan can't even be honest to his own people because he won't be Satan. If Satan ever tried to be nice to a Satan worshiper, he would no longer be Satan. So all the same words has got a big problem. And when he and when Satan acts upon his, his known nature and they complain, it's gonna be the same story. You know all the snake when you pick me up. You hear me? I'm gonna get around to that. So now, the natural are your blood relatives. What you think, feel, is how they think and feel. You have just given a different definition to God because some beasts have reduced you from God to man. And now you're thinking from the mind of a man and separated yourself from the godly state. Godliness is taking control. Godliness is responsibility. But not responsibility in the sense of I am obliged to respond but the power to respond, the power to take. You follow what I'm saying? Thanks. Read the Bible, because we hear about the, the wisdom of the, tamar- the Tamarian culture, yeah? But when I read about the wisdom, and I read stories as the examples like Satoka and Osiris, they don't marry up. Because you're at the 46, you're looking at the 46 dy- dynastic period, you're not even dealing with the Neolithic period. You're not dealing with when they admit that God walked to walk on earth. You're dealing with the Bible says it. The sons of God came down in Genesis chapter 6. 
And God, God and his host was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was before there was a law called the Torah. This was before there was a law called the Quran. There was no Bible. But God walked the earth. You only had to refer to him as one God after there was a law given by Moshe or Musa or Moses that defines him as the one God. Prior to that, there was no mention of one God in the Bible. There were no restrictions to what God did or did not do. Because in the, in the Old Testament, that very God repented. After creating man and men went bad, he repented. That's not the nature of a God who doesn't make mistakes, who's all wise, right, and exact. I think the problem is you're mixing up Osiris and Isis and Hathor, which were human beings, incarnated in the flesh, Nephilim, Devilim, who came into the flesh and made it with the Gibor, or Devor, which is a Gibbon, a, Gibbon, a certain species of hellish monkey. And those people you're calling God. And those people have the same nature as you. You just didn't incarnate, you were conceived. And now when you go back and study any book written by anybody who studied Egyptology, they say we can only go back to Namir, the first pharaoh. And that starts the dynasties. You said from then on down to the Ptolemy Roman invasion, and then fade on out into Anwar Sadat and the Muslim invasion and take it over. Now, what was along the Nile before the 46 dynasties? Because it is not a fact that Khufu built the pyramid. It's a fact that Khufu renovated the pyramid. Aging is proven that the pyramids go back 10,000, well, strength and so goes back 10,500 years, and the pyramids are going back 17 million years. During a series of readings in the 1930s, Casey prophesied at length about the monuments on the Giza Plateau, revealing what he believed to be the origin of the Sphinx. It was like he was in the deep unconscious mind, and he was accessing the universal consciousness that contained all wisdom. And when they asked him specifically about ancient Egypt, he said that this place was built in the year 10,500 B.C., and that these dates would be supported somewhere around 1998. Mainstream archaeologists date the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid at Giza to 2500 BC, when they were built to honor the pharaohs of the Fourth Dynasty. Casey's date of 10,500 BC is dismissed by mainstream science, but a few researchers are coming forward, as Casey predicted, to support his unorthodox view. I could see that in the geology lay the lay the key total reversal of history. John Anthony West is a self-described rogue Egyptologist. He believes that the pattern of erosion on the Sphinx rules out the mainstream date of 2500 BC. In a nutshell, the theory is that the Sphinx has been weathered by water and specifically by rain falling down over the plateau over many thousands of years. You look at the Sphinx and you see that it's this rounded profile with deep fissures going down the, the rock face. This can only be produced by rainfall falling over the plateau. Rain erosion in the Sahara is impossible now. But before 10,000 BC, this part of Africa was a fertile grassland. So, West points out in his book, if the Sphinx has been eroded by water, it must date back before 10,000 BC. The same conclusion, using different evidence, has also been reached by authors Robert Bovald and Graham Hancock. Help us understand the mirror image of the monuments at Giza and the sky at certain points in time, because that's key to understanding the entire concept you're putting forward. 
there is only one time where the image of the sky locks with the image on, on, on the ground. And this occurs and only occurs in 10,500 BC. Beauvau and Hancock have discovered that the Egyptian sky in 10,500 BC bears an uncanny resemblance to the layout of the monuments on the Giza Plateau. 10,500 BC, this is when the Sphinx is gazing directly at his own image, the constellation of Leo. And if we are to turn 90 degrees and face due south, we would see the three stars of Orion's belt in a pattern that mimics exactly the pattern of the pyramid on the ground. So we have here a perfect conjunction taking place only and only in 10,500 BC. Now what people roamed that area up and down the Nile, across the Tigris Euphrates, all that area, before they started putting on Egyptian clothes and walking around with sticks and putting on masks of animals over their heads for rituals. There was another being, a being there called Pygmy, or Deneg, I think I explained that last week. Was that last week? I explained that last week. The Pygmies, the Deneg, this is recorded. They were here first. They're the we, us, we and us, the day in the Bible. And those beings said, let us make a man in our image and the manifestation of what they created was an Adamite. They were called Kedmonites. Those Adamites is from the word Adam or Edom, which means red, ruddy. Those, that's the creation of the white race. That, or one of the branches of the white race, because people think the white race, the white race is one race. And there's a whole bunch of the 11 branches of the white race. And it was all created at different times. You see, Father? So you had God who were walking the earth in Africa who had contact with beings called Elul's who hadn't even come to earth. That were communicating with them from mind to mind. The same way the Bible says, that Noah was minding his business and a voice from heaven said, Noah. Same principle that Muhammad was up in the cave meditating and fasting and someone came in the cave in a form of power of light and said, Muhammad, it's God. And Muhammad didn't stop and say, where are you coming from? Noah didn't stop and say, God or whomever that is talking, where are you talking to me from? Or exactly how far away are you from me? And why am I able to hear you? What happened to the cell phone? You may laugh, but the thing that God didn't have a cell phone 4,000 years ago is getting to the little God. The thing that God didn't have a television or video recorder. Because if you can figure out that it was in the mind of God, does it happen in your mind it didn't come from God if your mind didn't come from God? I know mine did. <laughs> so anything you have today, claiming, claiming God already had in his mind. I was explaining that to someone yesterday. We talked about DNA and God. And I was saying, well, man is studying DNA. And DNA is our intelligence. And thinking and changing and going. Correct? Yeah. Now let's reverse the psychologist. Who was there first? Your chromosome or you? Huh? The chromosome. So now let's ask the question. Is man studying chromosomes or is chromosomes using man to study itself? To <laughs> a way to clone man out of existence. By making such a perfect man that he no longer be a man. He would be merely a chromosome. Man's own destruction 
is the inside man's ability to think of his own destruction and to create destructive vessels and means in the form of weapons and emotion. So again, get back to the question we never do We're talking about a period of time when the gods had become men. It was, it was thousands of years before that. Before when Adam and Eve was in the garden, right? The trees had to grow in the garden before Adam and Eve got in the garden. And we can justify that because we have the seven-day creation. But then, as I said many times, when we get down to the element gold, and the Bible speaks about good, God talks about how good the gold was in Ethiopia, and Adam and Eve wasn't in the garden of Ethiopia, according to the Christian belief. Adam and Eve was over there in the time where she prayed. That's their biblical belief. That's where the Jehovah's Witnesses and all science, all those groups will put it. So now, if God is incarnating man over in the Middle East, but making reference to the gold in Ethiopia, then God must have visited the gold in Ethiopia before he created man over in the East. Maybe that's why he said he put the man who he created in the East, because he originally created him in Ethiopia. So while there, he saw the gold was good. So God looked down and saw the gold was good in Ethiopia while he was creating man, then the gold wasn't his. Well, because it was his, he wouldn't have to make a differentiation between it being good or bad gold, because it's God's gold. And all of God's gold got to be good. Not only that, Ethiopia must have had gold better than God's gold, because God said that gold was good. So the Jewish God had to come against Ethiopian God where the gold was good. And in that land of Ethiopia, where God must have created Adam and Eve and then put them eastward in the garden. You see, I'm going back to how it proved that evil existed here before. And then how long does it take for gold to become gold? Now you can have the secrets. Now you can enter into ancient Egyptian order and learn who and what you are. Who built the pyramids? Why? Medicine, alchemy, the secrets of symbolism revealed to you. Enter the ancient Egyptian order now, now, now.
لله رب العالمين الحمد لله والي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that he is alone and has no partner. And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the guide. And on the Mujaddid, the Reformer, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. And now, the true light featuring a Sheikh Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. Assalamu alaikum. Being an ex-follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, I would like to know, was my brother a true Muslim or the teachings that he was being taught were they tampered with? Here's the reality of it. When you and I say true Muslim, we got to be very careful and we're not using a measuring rod established by some red or pale Arab from Saudi or Egypt developed as to what a Muslim is. But that's what they're doing. See, when a so-called Sunni Muslim makes this measuring rod, he uses the word mainstream Islam. Ansars are not in mainstream Islam. Farrakhan is not in mainstream Islam. By mainstream Islam, they mean that me and Minister Louis Farrakhan did not allow anyone to come in and inject their thoughts directly into my mainstream and go directly to my head without question or doubt or reason. These Sunni Muslims are American Negroes converting to a religion being given to them by Red Arabs and they don't have the right to even question it because the Quran says the scripture has no doubt in it. So if they have anything that they question, for instance, I want to ask you a question. Do you pray? Yes. Ask a Sunni Muslim, does he pray in the direction of the black stone? He'll say, yes, that's idol worship. Then he might say, well, I don't worship it. Then say, that's adoration. And that's salutation. And the word for salutation in the Quran is salli, which is the word salat. You follow? So they do worship the black stone, which is not black, by the way, but brown. So in the Arabic language, when Allah calls it in the Quran, Hajjwatu Aswad, the black stone, he's really referring to something brown. So again, when a Sunni Muslim says, well, you're not really black, you're brown, he's making a mistake because according to Allah, <laughs> the color black is brown if he calls a black stone, which is in actuality a brown stone, because I've seen it with my own eyes in Mecca, black, Allah's idea of black is brown. And then the color for brown in Arabic, bunni, comes from the word bena, meaning my children, <laughs> you see, in Arabic. You see the trick? So now the point I'm trying to make is when they ask, is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad or was the late Honorable Elijah Muhammad a kufr as Bilal Phillips and Siraj Wahaj and other brainwashed Orthodox Sunni Muslims put it, what they're not doing is they're not consulting the Quran for the definition of Muslim. You know what they're doing? They're consulting the Hadith 
and the interpretation of men. Let's consult the word of Allah for Muslims and see what it is by the Quran and we'll find it in Surah Al-Baqarah. Now, Surah Al-Baqarah is known to be what chapter of the Holy Quran? The second chapter of the Holy Quran and it's the largest chapter in the Holy Quran. Right? Let's see what this Surah Al-Baqarah has to say about what a Muslim is. Then we're no longer dealing with men, we're dealing with Allah. The name Surah Al-Baqarah comes from the word Sahafa. That's the first thing. And this is what he says about a Muslim. Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. In all things, in the illustrious name of Allah, the yielder, the most merciful. Alif, Lam, Mim. Adam, Laylatul Qadri, Muhammad. That's what these letters symbolize. From Adam, the night of power, when all the scriptures came down to the prophet, and Mim, Muhammad. Alif, Lam, Mim. And he starts with the chapter. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ this text has no doubt in it. It is a guidance to those who are taqwa, who have fear and tremble at the words of Allah. Whether they are the Torah or the Injil or whatever book, they fear the almighty words. Now what does it say? The third verse. Those who are faithful by way of the unseen, right? And they exalt prayer. And of the things we provided them with, they offer freely. Arwi Elijah Muhammad believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he didn't interpret him as just a man the way people say. That's not what's happening on Article 12 on the back of any Muhammad speech. On the back of any Muhammad speech under Section 12, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad referred to Master Farah Muhammad as the Mahdi and the Messiah. Correct? Indeed. Then he said Allah came in the personage of. Allah himself says in the Quran, I breathed into man of my soul, Ruhi, and man became, Al-Insan Sara, what? A living being. So every man has the personage of Allah in him, insofar as the breath of life that came from Allah is inside every man. The men who are most learned in Al-Islam, they call Mu'lana, having its root word in Alama, one of Allah's names, Al-Alim, the knowing. You understand what I'm saying? So every man that is endowed with a certain amount of knowledge who's called Mu'lana or Mu'allam, has taken a portion of Allah's name, Al-Alim. Al-Alim Muhammad never implied that Master Fraud Muhammad was the unseen creator. Here's what he says. Who is Allah? Right? The Asiatic black man, maker, owner, queen of the planet Earth, father of civilization, and God of the universe. So what he was saying is, because Allah had put his spirit into every black man, all black men were God. That's throughout his writings, and it's very clear. And that one from amongst them, supreme being. And the Honorable Ajman stressed that being, like the dictionary, meant a mortal or physical thing. He called Farad a supreme being, meant that he was the most 
intelligent being that he had ever met. That's how the Honorable Elijah Muhammad put it. Now, however, the Orthodox Muslims want to mistranslate it and slander and alter it, that's their prerogative. But if you read the message to the black man and write him to Honorable Elijah Muhammad, that's not what he said. He called him the Mahdi and the Messiah. And there are Muslims all over the world, in different parts of the world, that have declared men the Mahdi and have declared men the Messiah. The Saudi Arabians, on the other hand, the Wahhabi sect that are now buying out everybody, haven't had their Messiah yet or their Mahdi. So as far as they're concerned, they are the only ones that are right and they're mainstream. And anybody who does not go along with their interpretations of Islam has to be kufr or Satan or some other name that the Sunnis belt out against other black leaders, almost always black leaders. But when Ahmed Didat from South Africa, an Indian brother, did a whole thing, a whole book and live video on the number 19 that he extracted from Rashad Khalifa, an Egyptian brother, all the Sunnis was with him. Then a couple of Saudi Arabians came up and said, the number 19 is not authentic, but they didn't never debate against it, they just said it. Never has an Arab who speaks Arabic debated against the number 19. Bilal Phillips did it, some Canadian Negro. Pakistanians are doing it. No Egyptian has ever went up against them whose native tongue is Arabic. No Sudanese has ever went up against them whose native tongue is Arabic. No Saudian has ever went up whose native tongue is Arabic. It's always converts to Islam who are versing the number 19. But this man, Ahmed Dida, who the Sunnis are now exulting because of his videotapes of arguing with Jimmy Swaggin, etc., he supported the number 19, and now he retracts that as if it never happened. He is a part of mainstream Islam. You see what I'm saying? They select what mainstream means, and they select what's right and what's wrong. The point I'm trying to make by this verse is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad did believe in an unseen deity. But when he spoke about Master Prophet Muhammad, he was giving him a Christ-like image, and like a Christian would, the Christ-like image is God incarnate. Muslims pretend they disagree with this until you enter into the covers of the Quran and investigate the life of Jesus compared to any other prophet. Is any other prophet in the Quran called El-Masih, the Messiah? Yes or no? Yes. Who? Uh, he said, uh... Israel? Indeed. And then they say that the Jews call Israel a Messiah, not Allah. Nowhere in the Torah or El-Injian or Zabor will you ever find the prophet Israel being called a Messiah by the Jews. Nowhere. It's not there. You follow that? I follow. Next, Allah calls Jesus Al-Messiah in the Quran, the Messiah, son of Mary. Now, being the word Al-Messiah, according to Orthodox Sunni Muslims, existed in the Torah before the Quran. And because they're not smart enough to know that Arabic and Seretic is the same language, they think the Torah was Hebrew and the Quran is Arabic, we have to go back to the Torah language that they believe in, which is Hebrew for the definition of Messiah, which is in Hebrew, Al-Mashiach, an anointed being, a supernatural being. You follow that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does know the definition. Now, Allah refers to Jesus in the Quran as Ruhu. He gave him a Ruh. He says, Ruhi. I sent him with Ruhi, my soul. Your name in Al-Islam is Ruhullah, Allah's soul. 
Muhammad is never called that. It says, and in Islam they support their hadith, that Rasulullah died. He died at a certain age, and they have his remains in the city of Medina, in a tomb that Sunni Muslims go to and make a dua to Muhammad doing Hajj, which that cannot be found in the Quran, by the way. They innovated that into it, but they do it anyway. So, Muhammad's remains is on earth. The Quran tells us that Allah took Rafa'ah, took Jesus what? Rafa'ahu ilayhi, up to himself. The Quran further says, don't say people who die in my path are dead, they live on. So according to that Quran, Jesus, son of Mary, is still alive with Allah in heaven. It doesn't say that about Muhammad. You see what I'm saying? I follow. So their idea of main Islam is innovation of hadith and tradition of men, fabricated stories that can't be substantiated by the text of the Quran, but can be backed up further by other hadith. For instance, they say, well, any Muslim knows that the Prophet Muhammad said the two things that Allah left were the Quran and his Sunnah. Yeah, they thrown it at you. But you don't never stop to say, wait a minute, is that in the Quran like that? No, that in itself is a hadith. So they're actually using a hadith to support a hadith. <laughs> and they turn at you and Ansar and say, the writings of Muhammad says that he left two things, the Quran and the Sunnah. I don't deny that he might have said that, but that is a hadith supporting a hadith. When are they going to realize the words of Allah are more important than the words of men? So, as far as unrealized Muhammad believing in Master Fra Muhammad as being a spirit God, or being likened to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the boundless universe, nowhere in his doctrine does he say that. Who is the original man, Asiatic black man, maker, owner, cream of the planet Earth, father of civilization, and God of the universe. All of those things are physical things. And that we are, because Allah said in the Quran, He created me and you as Khalifa fil Arda, as His successor on earth, the caretaker of the earth. So we are the maker, the owner. We are not the creator. Allah is Al Khaliqu. But we do make things from things He created. We do own the planet because He gave it to us. We are the cream of the planet because we are the original black people. We are the father of civilization because we had civilizations in ancient Nubia. While the white man was up in the mountains eating flesh, raw and crawling on all fours, and his half-breed uh, Arab brothers was with him in their blood. So then we are God. We are God. Didn't it say in the books of Psalms? Didn't he say, "Did I not say you are God? You just not Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. <laughs> you're not Allah, but you're a God compared to every other being on earth, compared to every other race of people on earth. You are a God, but you're not Allah. <laughs> you see, that's what he would make him a mistake. There's a difference between God and Allah. Allah cannot be turned into a female. God can have goddesses. Allah has no partners. So when they say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, they've just binded partners with Allah. Whenever you say Allah, he's alone. Then if you want to say, Wa and Muhammad is as a possible you can. But you don't do it. Otherwise, you're... you're uh, shirk, you're guilty of binding partners. Think about it before you respond. Now he goes on to another verse and says, This person upkeep prayer. The Allah Elijah Muhammad taught his followers to pray. Yes or no? They may not have agreed with the way the mainstream of Islam, all the Sunni Muslims got their interpretation out of Hadith to do it. But according to the Quran, 
90% of the things that Sunni Muslims are doing in their prayer are not in the Quran. Ask the Sunni Muslim to show you anywhere in the Quran where Allah says, stick your finger in your ear three times. Ask the Sunni Muslim anywhere in the Quran to show you where Allah says, stick your finger up in Tashahud and go at Tahiyatu. Ask him to show you these things. He can show you bowing in the Quran. He can show you prostration in the Quran. He can show you what to do in the Quran. But he cannot show you a lot of little things. Ask him to show you anywhere in the Quran where it says Allah said, turn your head to the right and speak to one angel and turn your head to the left and speak to another angel. They're so ridiculous about these traditions. You know what they say about the pictures of the wall? Angels will not go into a house where there are pictures or dogs. Is that correct? Is that not what the Sunnis teach? Do you realize that when Siraj Wahaj and them got arrested and had to go into the court building with all them pictures, the angels got lost in Manhattan? And because when they got taken into the court building where there's nothing but images and idols, the angels had to stay outside on the steps of the court building because they don't enter in there, these fools believe. What ridiculousness. What stupidity to teach children. And I'm not going to teach that garbage to my children so they can start believing in Batman and Superman when the white man introduces more fiction and fantasy It makes us gobble it up. Truth is truth. I'm going to teach what the Quran says and not what a bunch of men have created because they don't want to recognize the return of the Messiah Jesus in the world. So they fabricate a bunch of garbage so that they can create their own religion. Sunni Muslims better wake up and accept the fact that the Quran is saying that Jesus is coming as a sign of the end of the world. And that the hadith they believe in says that Jesus will descend in a physical form at the end of the world. They're trying to evade that. Those are devils who stepped in after the Prophet Muhammad and changed his religion because he followed Mila Ibrahim al-Hanif and he followed the religion of Abraham in the Holy Quran, the second chapter of 130th verse. They have changed it and fabricated a whole new religion, call it Sunniism, Shiaism, and basically Mohammedism, which they'll deny. They worship the black stone, they kiss it, they worship the Kaaba, and the most stupid thing following that stupidity is they teach them that the black stone came down from heaven white, and when men kissed it, it turned black. Am I right? Indeed. That's what they teach. And they teach me, a black man, through the knees, that the black stone was once white and is black because of sin, he's trying to tell me I represent sin. And any black man that sits there and listens to that has to be crazy. Am I right? Then they tell me <laughs> that the black stone was brought down from heaven by an angel. And I asked him, are there rocks in heaven? <laughs> angels are carrying rocks, so the angels are physical. Then they tell me that the devil can't be physical, yet they go to Mecca and pick up 21 stones and throw them at three different rocks, seven apiece. And those rocks are supposed to represent Satan. He can't come in a physical form, but he could be a rock. Three rock pillars in Mecca. Three Satan. That's their own trinity. I will not teach that garbage to my sons and daughters. I will not teach that garbage to your sons and daughters. You understand what I'm saying? Indeed. And if a Sunni Muslim want to believe that stuff, and thus say the army Elijah Muhammad or Imam Isa or, or Noble Juali or any of us are not mainstream Islam. I am not injecting white supremacy into my veins or into the veins of my son, which is mainstreaming. You understand? So when them Arabs are telling them to be in mainstream Islam, they're talking about boosting a bunch of poison right to your brain. And one of them poisonous thoughts is that the black stone is black because some sins are in it, which means sin is black and you're synonymous with that. Or I ask 
them all the time, and I tell you to ask them, name three red or pale Arabs you know named Bilal. Why don't they name their kids Bilal? Why do they avoid Bilal's name? They name him everything but Bilal. Why? Because whenever they talk about Bilal, they call him a black Ethiopian slave. Even though he has been out of slavery, according to them, by Abu Bakr Sadiq, Aisha's father brought him into his freedom. Whenever Orthodox Sunni Muslims talk about him, they still refer to him as an Ethiopian slave. And then got the nerve to tell me that they're not racist. And call me a racist because I say Adam was created of black mud. That's racism. Because the law made us from a single male and female. Yeah, but what color was that single male and female? Because somebody's going to get cheated out of this conversation. If you say a law created us from a single male and female, that's two people. Yes? Now, how many races do you all identify? Black, brown, red, yellow, and black. So which two are in this? <laughs> which two are the single male and female? Are they two black? Are they black and white? Are they black and brown? Are they black and red? Are they yellow and white? Which two is he talking about? Oh, they both of the same race. And they both were created from the same source. What was it called? Talk to me. It was called Ham and Sasailin, black mud in the Quran. And that includes Latinos, Cubans, Dominican, Panamanians, Japanese, Malaysian, Indonesian, Vietnamese, all of us are one black family. He may have got into our blood and messed around a little bit here, but ain't nobody in this country as nappy as your head, as dark as you think you are. You ain't no blacker than any Latino brother you meet on the street. Is that true? Was that true? But as one family, we're powerful. Divided, we're nothing. And I will not let them divide me from Minister Louis Farrakhan and stick me under the umbrella of some multi-billionaire Arab so he can poison my soul. Because my belief is in Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and his Quran first. And I accept all of his prophets. And I will not put Muhammad above any prophet of Allah for nobody. Only Allah. Turning the honor of Elijah Muhammad, he did tell